1: This podcast was first made available to ArsBlog members on Patreon. It's a taste of the kind of content you get if you sign up to be a member, as well as supporting everything we do on the site. You get lots of bonus content. You get the ArsCast ad-free, articles, live streams, and lots more. So if you're not already a member, please consider signing up. It costs just €5 Euros a month, and you can do it really quickly by going to patreon.com forward slash That is patreon.com forward slash in 2003-2004, Arsenal went through the entire league season without losing a game. It's a record which remains unequal to this day. It was an amazing season of football from Arsenal, full of incident and drama, controversy, on the pitch and off the pitch. There were highs and lows. The highs were really high, but that was also true of the lows. Not that they were high, they were really low also. In this two-part podcast, available exclusively to Arsblog members on Patreon, we're going to look back at that season, from the summer when transfer spending was minimal right until the final kick of the season when Arsenal confirmed their status as the best team in England, yet unfortunately couldn't match that by making themselves the best team in Europe. The achievement remains unequaled in English football since, so join myself, James from Gunnerblog, and Andrew Allen for this trip down memory lane as we remember the 2003-2004 season and the Invincibles. 2004, we were unbeatable. Welcome to an blog members area exclusive podcast. We're going to discuss one of the most seminal, most brilliant seasons in Arsenal's history, 2003-2004, when, as everybody knows, Arsenal went through the Premier League season without losing a game. We're going to talk about that and all the bits and pieces that went on around it with me to discuss it. James from Gunnerblog, hello. Hello. And Andrew Allen, hello to you. Hey there. Uh, James, let me ask you what you remember about that summer going into that season, because the previous season had ended in such disappointment. Mm -hmm. Arsenal looked like they were on course for another double. There was that fateful game at Bolton. Yep. Yep, where uh, Sam Allardyce's men kicked... I think they kicked three Arsenal players off the pitch, if I remember. Colo Toure, was it Colo? Lauren as well. Freddie Jumberg might have gone off.
0: Very possibly. Um, was, it, was it Martin Keogh with the backwards header? Yeah, that yeah. was
1: the own goal that cost us. And uh, although we won the cup, there was a real sense of disappointment that we didn't achieve what we should have achieved. And that summer, I guess people were looking for the club to show perhaps a little bit of ambition in the transfer market. It hmm. didn't quite work like that.
0: no. No, just the one senior incoming, wasn't it? In Jens in mm. Lehmann. Um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't recall exactly, but at that time we had such a good squad that I guess a lot of our efforts were geared around keeping some of those players. I mean, Patrick Vieira being yeah. the main one. Was he? Was he close to moving away that summer? Particularly? I think he was close to moving every summer. It seemed that way. He didn't didn't he, it? Didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but but I mean, obviously David Seaman left. He joined Manchester City, uh, so the goalkeeper is always going to be the big issue. Yeah. Uh, and Layman, I remember when Layman came in. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I didn't know too much about him to be honest. So it was like I'd seen him play here and there for Dortmund, but I was you know it, it was a bit of a, a tricky one for me to make an assessment about. Um, but beyond that. It was kind
1: of much the same, wasn't it? Yeah. it was the same team we were. Yeah, with. there were there were a number of goalkeepers linked. Lots of goalkeepers linked that yeah. summer. Andrew, if I remember, Canizares was one as well, wasn't he? And yeah,
2: uh, he of the blonde hair who once dropped a bottle of aftershave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, I was very excited about him because he was quite a mm. high profile keeper. Everybody mm. used to talk about him as one of the best in Europe. But yeah, you know, I I had no idea who Lehman was when he turned up at Arsenal and. It was a very, very low-key summer, which, yeah. given the sort of torment and heartbreak of the season before, was, I guess, to a certain extent, unexpected. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think the thing about the layman signing was it, it, it felt low-key, even at the time. I think we paid a million and a half, and
3: mm. uh,
1: it wasn't quite as easy to research people. Not everyone had their YouTube compilations back then, but I do remember uh, somebody on our blog saying one of the regular readers saying, He's a bit, a bit mad, this guy. <laughs> he a, wasn't he, wrong. He wasn't wrong. And I think one of the clips that ended up doing the rounds was Layman getting sent off for slapping his own teammate in the German (laughs) game, uh, and only to realise he got a second yellow card for this, he was furious because he conceded a goal, went out, slapped his teammate, got sent off, and then realised the linesman had his flag up for offside and the goal wouldn't have counted anyway.
0: Well, that kind of fit the narrative around the Arsenal team at that time, I suppose. Disciplinary problems were something that was strongly associated with the
1: team and would be of course, in this invincible season. For sure. Um The other arrival, Andrew, was 17-year-old Gael Clichy from Cannes, I think, was it? Or Cain? How do you pronounce that? I think, that think
2: one? It, was, it, was, it was Can, as in C-A-E-N. Yeah, yeah. Cain, yeah. I don't
1: know. he
2: was another yeah very low profile. I guess at that point it was very much on Wenger's agenda to sign unknown French teenage prospects mm. with a view to them being the next big thing
1: the next David Grandin perhaps
0: (laughs) (laughs) I remember though Clichy I saw a play I think it was at Underhill in that pre-season and he was 17 at the time and immediately you were like wow this guy's got something he was obviously absurdly quick but yeah uh, you could see straight away why Arsene Wenger liked him I think he played left midfield in that game I think he came off the bench but obviously predominantly a left back but he, he was a classic Wenger signing in that period at that time Arsenal had such a knack of pulling these French teenagers from nowhere mm. and speed was something a lot of them had in common you know? yeah mm. Clichy was definitely in that bracket
1: the other issue I think was the fact that Arsenal needed a, a centre half mm. and I'm just trying to imagine what the reaction would be today <laughs> to a manager, or Arsene Wenger in particular, deciding that a an enthusiastic but hugely inexperienced, what would you call him, a utility player? He was a utility player. That's absolutely what he was. Player. Was going to be the guy who was going to play centre-half alongside Saul Campbell. And Colo Toure, obviously, is the guy that, that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, it That was an incredibly brave decision.
0: It was, yeah. I mean, I think it's, we sort of first heard about it. I think in those days, Arsenal still had their pre-seasons in Austria. Mm. And I remember Torre being used in that position in that period. But, I mean, some of his performances for Arsenal the previous season had come kind of on the wing. You'd seen him popping up all over the pitch. yeah, And almost the last place you expected him to see was at centre-half. So it was... Very radical, but yeah, I mean, it, sometimes it feels like we're talking about a different manager. But again, one of the things that Arsene was really renowned for in that period, in that first ten years at Arsenal, was repurposing players. You know, putting them in positions that weren't necessarily yeah. expected. Mm-hmm. He had such success with that, with Thierry Henry, Lauren, I guess was was another example, and Toure fitted into that. But it felt like a, a huge gamble at the time.
1: Yeah
2: yeah I think I mean the first time I think most people saw him playing in that position was the community shield against United and I think I was on a family holiday in Cyprus or something we went to a bar and we sat there watching it and you're kind of like oh god right so he's going to try this out then and because it was the week before the season you were like well he's obviously taking it as a serious prospect yeah, and he was great He, he actually had a really really good game and I think you know Wenger from that point on never really looked back with Toure there
0: it was so, such a bold move though, you know, you think about, I mean, Toure apparently had played as a defender sort of earlier in his development in the academy in the Ivory Coast, but he'd rarely played in that role for Arsenal and, you know, you think if you're going to do that, you want a better player in over time, give them opportunities here and mm. there in that position. This guy went straight into the first team alongside Sol Campbell. Yeah kind of unthinkable now.
1: It is. I think he had a, a preseason game against Glasgow Rangers where he played really well, and that might have... Yeah. I mean, you have to imagine that was more in the manager's mind to give him a go. It wasn't just dependent on one performance. But I wonder, was there something about Colo Turi as a character at that stage of his development that he was mouldable into something that, that Wenger wanted him to be? Yeah.
0: Well, what he also had was these extraordinary physical gifts. I mean, he was so athletic and so powerful. His recovery speed was brilliant. So even when he did show a bit of experience or make a mistake, mm. nine times out of ten, he, ha- he had the speed to get there and recover it.
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think he obviously massively benefited from having the experience of Sol Campbell uh, next to him. So, I mean, you know, from a, from a player perspective, there are a few better players that you can probably learn from than, mm. than, than Campbell in that respect. And... You know there was the the youth and, and energy of Ashley Cole on one side, and mm. he had you know Lauren had a lot of experience as well. So it was a yeah it was an interesting interesting lineup. But that's that's
0: I suppose why the Layman edition was such an important one uh, in this summer because you know with Keane sort of stepping back slightly, not being a regular star mm. anymore, Campbell and Torre. Campbell was kind of the de facto leader of that back four, but he, he's not a natural organizer maybe, and that's why having someone like Layman made so much sense. I guess that was probably in Arsene Wenger's thoughts, he thinking I want someone experienced, someone who's got a good tactical brain, and I think Lehman brought an authority yeah. to the defense that
1: was One of the important. one of the oldest players Wenger's ever signed. Yeah. I think it was 33 could still be the oldest player he's signed. Now yeah. for the first time obviously he's brought back Thierry Henry, he's brought back Saul Campbell when needed, but as a signing
2: I mean at the time we were very much going into that after thirty, you only get one mm. one year deals. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, I think that had even been an issue with Burkamp on the eve of the season. Like, we were trying to get him to sign a new deal, and you know, his agent was playing hardball.
1: But yeah, he uh, wanted he wanted more assurances. So the season, the first game of the season, not the first league game, but the first game of the season, gives us a kind of um, a taster of what's to come. It's the Community Shield against Manchester United. Uh, Arsenal have a disciplinary issue in the game. Francis Jeffers did what I think many of us want to do, and that's (laughs) kick Phil Neville quite deliberately. He got sent off. And when you consider what happened a bit later in the season, that really was start as you mean to go on. Yeah, and was that kind of the end of Jeffers' Arsenal career? I think so. It very much felt
2: like it at the time. Did he go out
0: on loan shortly after that? I believe he did, and I'm not sure we ever really... Saw him again.
2: No, it was the kind of the last dying embers of a an Arsenal. <laughs> the raging against really... the dying of the light.
0: Yeah. He was Fra- um Francis Jeffers.
2: A curious case in the uh in the
1: Wenger archive. Yeah, he went uh he went on loan to Everton. Mm. So back to his old club. Back to his old club where he scored twice. There you go. <laughs> oh, wow, when you consider as well, you know, paying eight million pounds for Francis Jeffers that summer was And at that
0: time as I say, mm. also Wenger had such a golden touch with young talent you know he, for him to spend that money on a young English player was a big thing
2: yeah, yeah. I mean it almost feels like he never bought another English player ever again after <laughs> that. I know that's not true but
1: yeah was, he, was, uh, but he had his fingers burnt for a while definitely for sure and that was definitely a case of paying the, uh, the English surplus on a, on a transfer fee mm. so the first Premier League game of the season was against Everton at home at Highbury and another sending off uh, this time it's, uh, it's Saul Campbell Sent off quite early in the game, if I remember correctly, um, 25 minutes in. And I, I think there was something about this side, even though we were down to 10 men, you always felt like we were capable of winning a game. It didn't really feel like the hammer blow it would feel like now if we had a player sent off. There was enough character, there were enough leaders, there are enough uh, experienced heads in that team to ensure that we didn't get affected as as badly, Andrew.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, there were, there, we had a succession of games in the seasons before where we'd we'd really learnt how to cope with with one man missing, mm. and I mean, at home in particular as well as this game was against Everton. That you know, the crowd also seemed to believe that, and I think if I'm not mistaken we, did we concede the first goal no we didn't. we didn't
1: Thierry Henry no. scored and, then and it, we was a, it was a contentious penalty Right, I think he one of those where he scooped the ball up and it hit uh, could have been Unsworth or, or who was the other guy that played centre half for years and years yeah. Uh, For David Weir, maybe or someone. David that Weir. Weir or
2: the guy from who we nearly signed from.
1: Stubbs, Alan Stubbs. Stubbs, there that's go. what it was. Yeah. Um, so we actually went two 0 I mean, uh, Henri scored, took his shirt off, if you remember correctly, held out. and he was yeah. celebrating. He was fr- very
2: angry, wasn't he? Yeah, really angry. Yeah. with The Everton fans.
1: Yeah, he was. He went celebrating in front of the Everton fans who were whatever whatever part of the clock end they were in. And then he just said, no, I was celebrating in front of my family who are up in the box in the, uh, you know... <laughs> I remember up that above excuse, the clock in. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert Pirès scored in the second half. And then a guy who always seemed to score against us, Thomas Radzinski. Radzinski, yeah. Yeah, he got a late goal. Um, he was a pest, wasn't
0: he, Radzinski? Yeah. 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 We used to struggle with him every time we faced him. Mm.
1: Yeah. One uh, of
2: those players. Uh, Everton either. always used to have sort of small, nippy players who would seemingly score against us, it felt like. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it was... Was it kadamartri Danny Kadamarty. Danny Kadamarturi, Kadamarturi, yeah. yeah. There's a blast
1: from the past. Yeah. I think <laughs> there might be a few of those over the course of this podcast. Yeah, there <laughs> might well be. So, I mean, it, it it started us off with three points and we won four in a row mm. in the Premier League, uh, beating Middlesbrough 4-0, which I think is one of the performances people point to as... Sympt- or emblematic not symptomatic emblematic of, of Arsene Wenger we just blew them away it was one of those classic they're they're done the minute they're in the tunnel I think there was f- three goals in the opening 20-25 minutes yeah that's yeah. right yeah.
0: 3-0 up by 22 minutes yeah. I felt like there was a period where we used to go to Middlesbrough and do that fairly regularly uh, it, it seemed like it was a ground where we used to have a lot of success I remember a couple of 4-0 wins or 4-1 wins in that period but that game Will Tord scored twice I believe as well like, mm. that was sort of I guess that was an illustration as well of the, the depth that we had in the squad not someone who is an automatic starter but who could make a really big contribution although he did fade away he did fair.
1: yeah I mean Will Tord as a squad player you know when you look back on it he was almost like the runt of the litter but that's because he's in with Henri and Bergkamp and yeah. Pires yeah, and I- Jumberg but you know, as a squad player, really solid.
2: And, you know, incredible experience. I mean, he'd uh, he'd won the Euros with, with France. And, um, I mean, it's hard to say he was underrated because he'll always be part of an amazing team, which will always, you know, mm. garner a lot of headlines. Um, but he really was, I think he was really respected by his teammates as well. I mean you know even Henri i've heard speak about that team since uh, you know since since they did everything they did and um he looks back and goes you know we could trust these guys to come in and do a job if one of us for whatever reason wasn't there and he you know referenced canu in that as well um really top players um and wilton knew where the net was you know he was a yeah, good finisher
1: he was um Four nil against Middlesbrough, two 0 at home to Aston Villa, two one uh, a win away to Manchester City with David Seaman in goal. Mm-hmm. Um Lauren scored a really remarkable <laughs> home goal that day, didn't he? Yeah, God, I'd forgotten that. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> he just sort of kept running with the ball and it just, was just surreal. Yeah.
0: Uh surreal goal. I mean David Seaman's spell at City was pretty ill fated. I don't think he even survived the season, did he? he no, he didn't. By.
2: He uh he actually Retired halfway through the season. I think he picked up an injury and he decided, you know what, this isn't for me up here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there was um, a story around about that, about his insurance or something like that. I can't remember, but there was some reason that he chose to retire oh, midway right. through the season rather than wait it out. Right. They, they signed David James, I think, as his replacement. Hallelujah. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> they, went, they went through a succession because they, they then had Schmeichel, didn't they, at one yeah. point? So they, it was yeah. the Keegan era. I
1: had, era. had yeah. forgotten all about. Peter Schmeichel playing for Manchester City, which, when you think about it, is mad, mad yeah. and remarkable. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I wonder has that um, diminished him in the eyes of Manchester United <laughs> fans? You know, I mean, you know what people are like. Yeah, that any any perceived slight or any perceived um, misplaced loyalty is a black stain on you forever and ever. Um, but I'd completely forgotten about Schmeichel playing there. That's bananas. So
2: we had we, I mean, we had another uh, ex-player against us that day in Anelka as well.
1: Nicholas Anelka, yeah, yeah who uh, was on his what fourth or fifth <laughs> club? Maybe no, what would have been his fourth or fifth club yeah, was it yeah. since he. Since he left in 99?
0: He went went to Madrid, then he went to
2: Paris, is that right?
0: Yeah. And then to Liverpool? On loan, very briefly. I think so,
1: and then City.
2: Mm. City, and and Bolton was off. Bolton was to come.
1: Fenerbahce, then Bolton, then Chelsea. I mean, the bloke did the rounds in the end. He did. I'll never forget the the amazing video that... um, they put at West Brom. Put it. I remember he signed yeah. for a short period on West Brom, and they had like Nicholas and Alka signs with the jauntiest music you've ever seen, and the most miserable-looking footballer of all time, just holding a shirt like yeah. going, "Oh God, why did it? Why did I do this?" He was never particularly cheerful. We could say that about. I him. think okay. that's. I think that's it was his fair. nickname, La Sulk. Yeah. La <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, between that and his brother, so then we have a game uh, against Portsmouth, managed at the time by. Harry Redknapp. Mm-hmm. Um, Teddy Sheringham scored a goal to to put them ahead.
0: I know. Look at that. A Portsmouth team with Teddy Sheringham in it and Tim Sherwood coming off the
1: bench. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. stuff of nightmares. Yeah, it really is. Tim Sherwood. I'd forgotten he played for, for Portsmouth. Um, but we got a goal, a penalty, Andrew, from Thierry Henry after, it would be fair to say, <laughs> as much as I love him... That Robert Perez made the most of whatever contact was there.
2: I mean, he was absolutely poleaxed by whatever breeze was going around (laughs) N5 at the time. Um, Went down. I mean, the best thing about it is how absolutely livid all the Pompey players and Mm. gerial coaching staff were after the game. I mean, it just became, I mean, it really was a massive talking point. The whole diving issue blew up everybody was talking about whether or not it was a dive, and everybody seemed to suggest it was. I, th- I still think like
0: people bring this one up to this day. I feel yeah. like its shadow looms large over Arsenal. I, I, I can't remember the exact nature of it. Was it that he sort of swung his outside leg out to initiate I,
1: I kind of, yeah, my my recollection of it is that he sort of hung a leg out yeah, to make contact yeah. and then went down. It was, you know, he, he got a reputation for being a diver because of this, but I don't recall Perez. Um, being that kind of a player generally, certainly no. not much more than, than anyone else at that time. He didn't
2: need to be, really. No. I well, think one true. of the reasons why this particularly blew up was Ferguson kind of pointed the finger at foreign players as being a source of a new level of mm. gamesmanship and stuff. And um, it was that kind of, is it the foreigners kind of classic... Mm-hmm. Argument that
0: yeah, and it robbed plucky Portsmouth, didn't it, yeah. of a win that would have been a huge result for them.
1: Would have been a terrific, terrific <laughs>
0: result. <laughs> I seem to recall Trif- that we we really needed that that day, though. That it was a difficult day again.
1: Yeah, Portsmouth. I think one one of the things that strikes me when you think about the invincible season, everyone thinks of a swashbuckling, all-conquering Arsenal who just went out and blew teams away. But I think the difference uh, really is that they were capable of. Of um, managing those really marginal games, mm. uh, either taking three points or making sure that they didn't lose. Yeah. You know, and they did have days where they were just amazing and nobody could live with them. But there were other days where it was a one goal win, it was a 2 1 win, it was a late goal, or they had to battle hard to get a draw. Mm. You know?
2: It felt like their in game management was better than, let's say, anything we've seen in the last decade at Arsenal, where we go a bit gung ho. Mm can't seem to keep in context the idea that a point in the grand scheme of things might actually be quite valuable whereas mm. losing three points and you know going completely off yeah. kilter.
0: And given that it's the same man at the helm I think you have to infer that a lot of that comes from the personalities on the pitch. Mm. You know, people like Campbell, people like Patrick Vieira, people like Gilberto who sort of had a kind of inherent understanding of those elements of the game and it, it, I mean, look... Obviously, this podcast is going to touch on that, but it's such an extraordinary feat to go unbeaten through a whole season. It requires so many different attributes, but... That kind of tenacity has got to be like almost the key one, almost above quality.
1: Yeah, I do wonder if the simplicity of what we were doing was a factor as well. Mm. In that it wasn't complicated; it was basically a four-four-two or a four-four-one-one formation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and know, the and patterns
0: b- of play were the same. Yeah. You know, the ball from the center house would go into Vieira. People knew it was going to happen. We would come down the left hand side. It was relatively predictable. You knew what we were going to do, but we were just very, very good at doing it.
1: Yeah. It's hard to stop for the opposition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, our next game was uh, the first Champions League game of the season, which was a 3-0 defeat to Inter Milan. Mm. Disappointing night. We spoke about somebody who was a, a, a pest. And uh, one of the guys who scored that night for uh, for Inter Milan was Obafemi Martins. Yeah, he was unplayable that night. He yeah. it was. It
2: he yeah. really was. I was at Highbury that night and it was... I mean we were blown away really we absolutely deserved to be down as we were 2-0 quite early and then um, I... we had a chance to reduce the deficit and Henri squandered a penalty and
0: it was 3-0 at half time and I think that was the night that I began to I sort of questioned the, the Colo Touré experiment because Martins had the better of him mm. really Um but yeah, I think that was probably the
1: the high point of Martin's career. Well, yeah. uh, apart from apart from well, coming we can't back to about him. that, yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> the League Cup <laughs> final in whatever year that was. What was that two thousand eleven? Eleven. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god.
2: So, a good. Seven years after that, he came back again to. Uh...
1: Yeah, six years on, it's still annoying. <laughs> but there you go. That could be just me. So then we go to Old Trafford and we have a game with Manchester United, the biggest rivalry in English football. At that time, Chelsea were beginning to emerge with some of the money um, that Abramovich had, had pumped into the club. But it had just been basically Arsenal and Manchester United. They were the only two teams who were likely to win the league and likely to compete for the league. So there was no love lost between the players, no love lost between the managers, no love lost between the two sets of fans. Can you remember how you felt when it was going to be Manchester United against Arsenal or Arsenal versus Manchester United?
2: Oh, it was just... There was just so much tension. Like, you just didn't... You didn't want to lose. And, I mean, I remember that day particularly. It was a boiling hot day in London. And I was packed into a, a pub just on the Tottenham Court Road and watching it on a big screen. I was a student at the time. And it felt like half the pub was Arsenal, half the pub was Manchester United. And it was just crackling. Like, the pub was just, you know there was anger you know Mm. people looking and staring each other down and I hated playing United because it was such a tough game you knew you knew it could go either way every time whereas against other teams you would start to build up the confidence thinking well Mm. you know we should win this today Mm. but that United team yeah they were a real pain in the eye and they had players you didn't like like Van Nistelrooy I hated Van Nistelrooy
1: everyone hated Van (laughs) Nistelrooy (laughs)
2: like (laughs) yeah
1: Everyone, whether you're an Arsenal fan or not, I think every, Van Nistelrooy was one of those universally hated players. Yeah. Uh, you know, but yeah, you, you looked at the Nevilles, you looked at uh, Keane, who, uh, you know, his battles with Vieira were, mm. were amazing. And there was always that undercurrent, you know, that undercurrent of just, I won't say hatred, maybe it was hatred. I think it could have been very real hatred, but born out of, born out of some kind of strange mutual respect, Because the two teams were so good. I think they, deep down, probably respected each other, but hated each other because of how good they were.
0: Yeah, and I think these days, with there being kind of a top six, really, and several teams who could feasibly win the league, I think probably the intensity of those big games is diluted somewhat. Mm. But as Andrew says, in this day and age, there were two teams who could win the league. They played each other twice and they were massive, massive occasions every time. And, I, you know, even I think above and beyond even the North London derby, I think they filled me with a kind of anxiety. There was nothing like the intensity of those games. They were so febrile, so electric. They yeah. were absolutely electric. And obviously there were all these kind of mini narratives within it. Ferguson and Wenger, Keane and Vieira. All these battles, and I mean, it, it kind of all came to a head on this day.
1: It sure did. I can't really remember much of what happened that day. No, until the sending off, until uh, Yeah, well, Vieira was sent off, obviously. Um yeah. For uh, I mean, he kicked out at Van Nistelrooy. He didn't make any contact with him. He was
2: a good foot away from yeah. making any contact with him. Yeah. You watch the replays and you see Van Nistelrooy throwing his hands up. Sure, in
1: the sure. I mean, look, I don't blame Van Nistelroy for getting out of the way. I mean, probably is a second yellow, really, kicking out like that, even if you don't make contact. You can see why yeah. a referee would do that, but because it was Van Nistelrooy and because, uh, because of his reputation, I think Arsene Wenger came out and, and basically called him a cheat after the game. Mm-hmm.
4: I think Van Nistelrooy
0: doesn't help, frankly. His attitude is always uh, looking for provocation and diving, and uh, he looks a nice boy, but uh, I think on the pitches, not always a fair behavior. Is that a kind of cheating in your book? Yes, I think so,
4: because uh, I believe it's, uh, it's again, uh, Patrick should not have be, uh, maybe have reacted, but again, you punish uh, more of the consequence than uh, the source of, of the problem.
1: Which sparked some, some confrontations within the, yeah. the tunnel, I believe. But, you know, he had that reputation anyway. We talk about uh, Robert Pires being labelled a diver. Van Nistelrooy certainly was that kind of a player. Yeah.
0: I he was indeed. Yeah. It's funny, I remember in his, I think, penultimate season at PSV, because his last season at PSV, he was injured with a cruciate ligament, ligament injury. But Van Nistelrooy was linked quite heavily with Arsenal.
1: Yeah, we were close. Yeah. We were close to signing him, and then he did the deal with United, then got injured, mm. um, did his cruciate, and missed the whole season. So, you know. Could have been, could have been our player. Yeah, in which probably. case, we wouldn't have cared about what, <laughs> whether he uh, was a diver or not. Well, I think that's.
0: I mean, I doubly hated him because he was sort of one of those irritatingly efficient goal scorers. Wasn't mm-hmm. I mean, he was always in the right place, at the right but time. But he had
2: none of the guile of like Henri. Really, I mean, it, you know, Thierry Henri was the kind of the stylish, swashbuckling Frenchman, and this guy was very much the kind of artisan to his artistry you he always used to put the ball in the back of the net though it was very frustrating his positional sense in a six yard box was amazing
1: yeah a brilliant penalty box (laughs) striker (laughs) you know and there's nothing wrong with that I don't think he scored too many goals from outside the box but when you can score that many from inside it
2: Yeah, yeah. So begrudging respect, I think, but...
1: Yeah, he's still a horse-faced twat, but (laughs) there you go.
2: Um, I'm just
0: looking at the starting lineup from this game, and and, uh, I didn't remember this, but Robert Pires didn't actually start the game. They went with Parler and Jumberg on the flanks and uh, Gilberto and Vieira in the middle. I don't know if there was like an injury there or something, but maybe we were just... Trying to be solid, I suppose. Having lost to Inter Milan three nil in the week, yeah, yeah, there was a sense that this was going to be a battle. We knew from the off.
1: Arsene Wenger leaving out one of his more less physically imposing flair players mm. for a big game away from home. I know. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> and Who
2: then, then s- obviously, yeah, well, I mean, well, Keown started right instead yeah. of Sol Campbell, whose dad had, I think, recently passed away, and yeah. he was um, given some time off and. You know, Keane had had a pretty solid game up until those last few minutes when,
1: obviously... Things didn't quite go to plan. Yeah, he uh, was a judge to a foul Solskjaer, I think it was. It, or Was it Solskjaer or the other guy? Like, was Forlan on the pitch? I think it was Diego Forlan. Forlan. Yeah, yeah, Forlan. yeah, yeah. That's who it was. It was Diego Forlan, yeah. so Tugging at the locks. <laughs> um, yeah. A final, like, last-minute penalty, more or less, for, for Manchester United. I'm not sure what minute of the game it came in, but it, it, was, it was around f- 88, wasn't right it?
2: Right at the end. I mean, mm. it was pretty much last kick of the game mm. stuff. Are you a run off him. Gary has a
4: lot of as well, towards full line, but. Um, penalty! Oh, penalty Martin Keogh. The controversy hasn't finished here. Arsenal cannot believe it. In stoppage time.
2: Lehman began his classic shithousery, just yeah. <laughs> jumping up and down on the line, waving his arms around, doing this Pac Man.
1: Desperately trying to put. Uh, yeah, I mean, J- James, you talked about things that uh, have to happen. In a, in a season for you to be able to achieve something like going unbeaten and character obviously is part of it quality is part of it yeah. uh, being able to take your chances is part of it but you need a bit of luck along the way and we got a bit of luck
0: exactly I mean look if, if Van hits that ball I don't know an inch further around the side of the crossbar it bounces into the net mm. you know um, but he didn't he went for power came back out
4: and you know he's going to This for three points, this to beat fierce rivals, this to go top of the Premiership tonight. The responsibility rests with Ruud van Nistelrooy. Oh, he's missed it! He has hit the bar! Arsenal can't believe it, but they've got to get their concentration back.
0: I mean, it was elation from everybody, I guess from fans and clearly from the guys on the pitch who felt very aggrieved at what yeah. happened.
1: Yeah. Um, but
2: it was also just, I mean, there's, it, I was so proud of the players for going straight for him afterwards. I mean, it's the type of thing you can say as a fan, but as a, someone working within the game, you wouldn't be able to, but it was so good watching them surround Van Nistelrooy and really going for him.
1: Yeah. I mean, there were so many iconic images, the Martin Keown star jump where he jumped <laughs> up and like s- straight arms him in the back of the head. I mean, to be fair to Van Nistelrooy, he didn't react. Mm. Um, but then it sparked off a, a confrontation. Yeah. I'm sure everybody remembers the image of Phil Neville being throttled by Laron with this look of abject terror on his face. Like, how could this be happening in front of my own fans? Mm. He looked terrified. I mm.
0: still remember Laron's face. I mean, he looked animalistic, didn't he? The vis- absolutely vicious. Yeah. Mm. It was great. <laughs> I mean- but it was, wasn't it? Wasn't it just fucking amazing? It was. It's it, because... I guess the feelings of the fans were kind of emulated in the behaviour of the players, yeah. And that's when you feel connected to, to the team and to the club.
2: Yeah, I mean it was it was it was amazing, and it was because it was so late in the game. There was no real time to kind of for anything else to go wrong. So it was the perfect ending to what yeah. had been a really stressful afternoon. Mm. And I just remember sort of pouring out into the street after watching that game and. The elation, you know, it really did feel like three points, not one mm. point gained, um, and I guess yeah. I mean, looking back, I mean, it really was the the turning point.
1: the The reaction, not just from the players, but I think what what was great was the reaction from the media, the the piousness. The You know, the ex-pros who don't mind giving it out and dishing it out a bit themselves, getting on their high horses, being sanctimonious about everything that they saw, as if this was somehow the worst thing that had ever happened to the sport and the worst thing that had ever happened to football. And Arsenal were, at the time, we were an easy target. We You know, every time there was a red card, it was Wenger's red card, shame. Another red card for Arsenal. You know, one of these... We weren't really a dirty team. You couldn't say that Arsenal were a dirty side. But just uh, there was something solidifying or consolidating there and I think the players felt it too I know Andrew when we were doing the book um, the together the story of Arsenal's unbeaten season and we spoke to and we uh spoke to a couple of players Graeme Stack and Ses Fabregas Danny Carbassian as well who just arrived and was like I can't believe this is going on like every time they they come in from training and they have sky news on it's like just over and over and over again Keo and jumping yeah. at, at people but you know he said it was there was this togetherness it fostered this like well fuck them yeah the old cl- the classic no one likes us we don't care thing but
0: it's interesting isn't it because i feel like nowadays you know when Arsenal are kind of full foul of the media maybe maybe we're a little bit more sensitive about it you know I think we worry about perception a bit more than we did in those days whereas it felt like then we almost relished it you know we really relished it
2: well I mean these days we get criticised for the exact opposite which is we're not up for the fight you know we're not the the, the hard men of the game who can, can, can stand it on a on a cold wet Tuesday in Stoke. You know, back then that was that was the reputation we had. And I think if anything it played into our hands because you knew when the going got tough in some of those bigger games that we'd probably be able to, to hold our own. And um, I think as well, like obviously Vieira had been sent off,
0: everybody felt grieved about that. They did, they weren't happy about the penalty award. But what was clear in what happened following the miss was the degree to which every player was prepared to step in on behalf of a teammate. Yeah, You know, they really rallied together in that way. I mean, together, obviously, the name of the book, appropriately so. (laughs) But there was a unity about that. And I think you're right, it did crystallise in that moment, but it had to have been there. That spirit had to have been there for things to play out Mm. like they did.
2: I mean, if anything, the entire incident overshadowed what was... uh, a theme over the course of the season which was that Keon's career was very much coming to an end and it was the mistake of a man whose career was you know at it's you know it's dying yeah. dying emb- I mean he was not the the fast paced player he had you know made a career being and um I think retrospectively he was always quite embarrassed by the whole event he doesn't like it being brought up um, he's a very different man off the field, isn't he, Martin? Yeah, Keen? that's yeah. the thing. Like, yeah. quite
0: erudite, quite calm. Uh, when you chat to him ever or see him on the television, you know, he's very—he's not that guy. It's almost like he, you know, he went into a different place, really. Well,
1: you know, often you see it, players are very different people yeah. on the pitch than they are off it, you know. And that's—I think—it's easy to get caught up in a moment though with something like that. You know, and it w- I don't think that would have happened with any other team. It couldn't have happened with no. any other team. The circumstances could have been the same, but uh, only only against United was that going to be mm. a real issue. So, um there were some disciplinary uh sanctions. Sanctions, weren't there? I'm just trying to remember exactly.
2: Uh I've got them here actually. Right. So uh Lauren got a he got charged with two counts of violent behaviour, one for kicking Quinton Fortune, <laughs> the other for pushing Van Nistelrooy. But he did actually get
1: away with choking Phil Neville, so that was good. OK, I think everybody, even the <laughs> FA, recognized probably, that. When you've, but, <laughs> when you've got the chance to choke Phil Neville, enough. yeah, it's all yeah. right, you know. Keown, one
2: count of violent behaviour, and then Parla Cole, Lehman, one count of improper conduct... And Vieira got a, an improper conduct charge because he didn't leave the field after he got sent off. He right. didn't leave immediately. Oh, yeah, he had to so there, <laughs> there, there was, what's that, six players there. That's not bad out of a, a match day squad of about 15 at the time.
1: No, no, it's true. And uh, when, we, when you think back, the squad wasn't quite as big. No. It wasn't as big a squad as people like to think. Um, there was a
0: lot of depth and a lot of quality, but it was only really about eighteen players i mean I think this was still the days of five subs, was it not? So you know there weren 't even that many involved regularly
1: on a match mm. right, so from there, uh we had a game, and I remember this game very clearly because it was on my birthday twenty sixth <laughs> of September it was a Friday night it was raining, yeah, raining, raining, raining.
0: Friday night was very unusual. It was days. very
1: strange, yeah, yeah. Very strange. And uh, Newcastle, we went ahead. Then Newcastle went ahead. We went ahead with, uh, through Thierry Henry. Then Lauren Robert. Laurent Robert, he was another
0: pest. He was a pest with the left foot. He yeah. equalised. Uh, and then we went
2: ahead again. Yeah, I think Gilberto header, I think it was. Mm.
0: That's right. But then they equalised. I remember a really good goal, I think it was, from Olivier Bernard.
2: Yeah, smashed it into the roof of the net. That's right, left back. On the back.
1: charge. But a Thierry Henry penalty. Do you remember how the penalty came about? I don't, you know. I do. Go on. Go on. Was it not? an absolutely needless and ludicrous handball from Laurent Robert that's really? right yeah Yeah. At, he, at it a was corner. a corner he and just, he just up and slapped it oh, of course it. Yeah. slapped it away <laughs>
0: <And> then, <laughs> it uh, was sort of it was completely bizarre I remember the commentators couldn't believe what he'd done because they had yeah. gotten themselves to this decent position yeah. he just tried to punch it
4: yeah handball was up penalty
2: it was
1: basketball stuff
2: and then uh, Thierry just dinked it down the middle didn't he yeah
1: as, yeah. as Thierry used to do. Yeah. He was quite clinical with penalties, apart from you know, that, one or two.
2: Yeah, that was the 79th minute I've got written down here. So, I mean, another late win. That's
0: pretty important. I mean, all those players who would go on to be suspended were available in that game. Your Vieiras, your Keowns, your Lawrence. They were all out there. Mm. Um, but I suppose massive, having sort of lost to Inter, having survived that scare at Old Trafford, to win the next game, was a big thing, I guess. You know, especially in quite trying circumstances.
1: Yeah, I mean that's what I mean about the, finding those those marginal differentials, two two versus three two. Now I know we had again, we had a little bit of luck along the way, but you wouldn't have put it past this Arsenal team to find a goal in the final, in the final ten minutes anyway. Mm. Yeah,
2: I mean actually, and during that game, I think we we had a succession of injuries. Um, I think you know they were saying that Cole and Keown and Lumberg were all kind of basically dead on their feet yeah. we still managed to sort of see it out close it out and get those points so yeah a sign of things to
1: come big points so we had a nil-nil draw in Moscow in the Champions League against Lokomotiv Moscow and October started with uh, two big games big big games Liverpool away and Chelsea at home and when you think back to the goals that we scored in that invincible season, I think one of the most memorable is is Robert Perez at Anfield mm. picking the ball up, trading passes with Edu, I think it was, yeah. and then just curling a shot in. It's the kind of goal that is both so beautiful and so simple you wonder why don't players do that more often? Look how easy he made that. You know, why would <laughs> yeah. just do that more?
2: Just swept it, didn't he? Just kind of no thinking about it. Yeah. It was never not going in as well. Yeah. And I think there was something about, you know, I mean I, I love Martin Tyler as a as a commentator, but he really kind of absolutely nailed that one as well. Yeah. And, you know, Andy Gray was in the background doing these kind of weird groaning <laughs> noises. Yeah. Um and winning at Anfield was not easy. I mean we had a bad, bad, bad. We had time a terrible record
0: there, I yeah. think, yeah. at that time. And also they took the lead. They did take the lead. And it's funny we spoke about the lack of summer signings. The guy who scored for them was Harry Kuehl. I don't know if it was that summer that he had joined them, but he of course was a big target for Arsenal, wasn't yeah, he? I it was,
2: it was that summer because he just in the final game of the season before of course for Leeds with for Leeds. oh
1: that game Jesus
0: Christ was, I was at that game behind that oh, goal Mark yeah. Paducah scored that goal
1: but uh, yeah Kewl was uh, very very strongly linked with Arsenal uh, I, I, re- re- I remember a certain Arsenal website um, which was not Arse blog, <laughs> I should point out but a certain Arsenal website announcing yeah. that Harry Kewl was going to become uh, an Arsenal player I think, well,
0: yeah. I think it was later admitted by people around the club that there was strong interest. Though maybe Cule himself. He was kind of seen at that time as a potential, and I know it sounds absurd now, but a potential Dennis Bergkamp successor. Uh, he was this very promising young player. We missed out on him. It didn't happen. Um, Bergkamp didn't play at Anfield. Thierry Henry was partnered by.
2: Either of you care to guess?
1: Jeremy Aliadier That's right, yeah. right.
2: <laughs> young French prospect, Jeremy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Arsene's son. Uh, he did. We did have some young players bubbling under. Um, you probably know the you know, the answers to these questions, uh, Andrew, because you've got the book in front of you. But I'm going to give you, James, okay. an Arsene Wenger quote. Uh, I want to tell you who who he's talking about. He is special and will figure. He should push Colo Touré all the way.
0: Okay. That's really difficult. Um,
1: Stathis Tavleridis. No, no. Somebody who did go on to play quite a lot of games for us, but uh, despite starting his Arsenal career very brightly... Uh, Is it Philippe Senderos? It is Philippe Senderos. Yeah. Was he at the club by this time? He was. He was. Um, Here's another one. Uh, He's talking about a player who's on loan. He may even come back. He is a great player, but I felt he needed to play. He was a midfielder. A midfielder in that period. Yeah.
2: Red hair. Red
1: hair. Yeah. Red hair.
0: Oh, I, I don't know, guys. Sorry. Oh, you do. He went on to play at a later date for Chelsea.
1: Oh, Stephen Sidwell. Stephen yeah. Sidwell. yeah. Stephen Sidwell.
2: Yeah. He'd captain the uh, the Arsenal youth team to the FA Youth Cup, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah,
0: went on to have a very good time of things with Reading, didn't he? Mm. I it did.
2: and end up at Chelsea.
0: Yeah. yeah?
1: kind of mad when you think about the play Danny Drinkwater plays for Chelsea now so like it's not like it's very much play. the modern day Steve yeah, Sidwell yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a final one it's very vague an excellent prospect who needs experience the talented young winger Quincy no no talented go young earlier.
2: go earlier the original talented oh, English young Jermaine Pennant t- yeah
1: Jermaine Pennant yeah. 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 yeah
0: was it in 2003 the previous season that he had scored that hat trick against uh South it
2: was. No, that was. It was, Yes, it was. It was. I think it yeah. was after the league it was, was gone. It was, after it? the league
1: was gone, Pirin scored a hat game. trick and, and yeah, Penen scored a hat well. trick. Yeah. yeah, so talent was there, but the application not so much. And when Arsene Wenger says he needed experience, yeah, just a bit of common sense as much as experience um, so a, like a big big win at Anfield because Liverpool were perhaps the other team that season or one of the other teams who might have caused a, a problem in, in the Premier League Chelsea had spent money but Liverpool were sort of there I think Juliani was still in charge was he at that point yeah, exactly. So. Um, and then the next game was Chelsea, mm-hmm. and I think I have a list here of of what Chelsea did that summer in the uh, in the transfer market. Well, this was when Abramovich had first arrived, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah so Chelsea, this was their summer spending that year. They brought in Ernan Crespo for seventeen million pounds. Adrian Mutu for f- 16 million pounds. Damien Duff, 17 million pounds. McAlaley, 16 million pounds. Scott Parker, 10 million. Uh, Alexis Smertin, 4 million. Joe Cole, around 7 million. Jeremy from Real Madrid, 7 million. Wayne Bridge, 7 million. Glenn Johnson, 6 million. So they spent an absolute fortune. A fortune. Yeah.
2: Um, and they tried to buy Thierry Henry and. Patrick, Patrick Vieira. Vieira.
1: That was the famous quote, wasn't it? Yeah. From from uh, David Dean. David Dean. The parking Russians are parking board. their tanks and firing their fifty pound notes. Yeah. Um, yep. So yeah, it's uh, it's a tough prospect to face a team who have made that kind of an investment. When Arsenal have spent a million and a half on a thirty three year old goalkeeper who is a bit bonkers by all accounts. Yeah. But I mean, we we had at that point a bit of a a bit of an Indian sign over Chelsea. We
0: did. I mean, you know, obviously they would come back to haunt us later in the season, but... Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they, you know, I mean, it's easy to remember that they were in real trouble the year before that. I think they got into Europe on the final day of the previous season, just by Gronkja scoring yeah, yeah. a late, late goal. Uh, apparently they're in all sorts of financial trouble and this was the start of their ascendance, really, to mm. being one of the big powers in, in English football. Uh, Ranieri was was in charge at the time and yeah. he actually did an alright job because assembly- normally if you think of it, teams in modern history have bought that many players that quickly it doesn't tend to pan out too well
1: no no they had, a, they had a way back in but that day I think we took the lead Crespo scored was that the weird goal where he came back onto the pitch
2: yeah I mean he it was quite a good goal it was a good goal Crespo, from distance wasn't it yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean he because he'd not really lived up to his his billing initially and that was the first goal that really sort of seemed to be a, yeah, a sign kind of, of the talent they'd, they'd signed um, we got a pretty dodgy goal didn't we I think it was a deflected edu free kick or something yeah. mm-hmm. um, played a part and then Thierry Henry with the winner
1: yeah mistake from Carlo Couticini yeah. if I remember yeah.
2: fumbled through his arms and sort of just bounced into Henry yeah you couldn't really tell what had happened and you watched it on TV initially but um, you'll take yeah. it take I'll it take yeah it. absolutely
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Another Champions League defeat left our chances of qualifying from that group uh, pretty slim because uh, I think we'd lost two, drawn one, and that was three games into it. I think, was that the game when Jens Lehmann came out of goal? Yeah, he came
2: racing out about 35, 40 yards. Complete (laughs) no man's land, as Jens was, uh, you know, often to be. Often found himself doing, and uh, I think they just yeah it was, it was one of those nights you're watching it and it looked bloody freezing on the TV. Yeah, um, it was uh, yeah well I mean October in Kiev I imagine. Isn't, isn't
1: there a, a a great layman quote uh, about this game? He says. My mood is as grey as the skies over London. I did not sleep at all on the night after the game. <laughs> <laughs> <Pereta>. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Um, he obviously took it very seriously. Yeah. And it's a fascinating thing, the
0: Lehman thing, because obviously, you know, he, great goalkeeper went through the season unbeaten, but he did have these moments, these yeah. moments of madness, really. Yeah. And, and, and they were present all through this campaign, and we were good enough to survive them. Uh, but there was that aspect to his personality. With you know, With all the good stuff came these... Aberrations. Mm.
2: Yeah, I mean, he was very, very willing to play that kind of sweeper role that I guess is more, well, has been made more famous by Neuer yeah. in more recent years. But slightly more harebrained attitude yeah. towards it. He'd I th- quite happily take the players out as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, there are stories from training where, you know, players would get absolutely polaxed by Jens Lehmann. There was no holding back in training, um, which didn't make him universally popular. I think people respected his desire to win and that kind of character. But when it came to training, they didn't want to miss a game because they'd gotten knackered by their own, own goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, and he actually talks about that in his recent book about how he was like somewhat ahead of his time. You know, the, the sweeper-keeper mm-hmm. thing hadn't really been invented or wasn't a thing. And, uh, yeah, it didn't always work for him, but when it did...
0: Yeah, and it helped. And Arsenal, you know, had had a defence that were capable of play, playing quite a high line because they were all quick all across the back four. Lehman could race out if need be, and it was a dramatic departure from Seaman, who mm. by that point had become rooted to his line.
2: Yeah, mm. I mean, I think you could probably get away with it more often than not at home at Highbury, where the pitch was slightly tighter and smaller. The distances weren't so mad. But, I mean, I remember watching that That Kia pitch is huge, and mm-hmm. he looked so far out of goal by the time the ball went in. It was just, <laughs>
1: you know, a
2: real head in, head and hands moment.
1: Yeah, that was one of those that's uh, surrounded by a running track, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah one of those classic Horrible European grounds. ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're just looking at those and you hear, like, the commentator on a telephone line. That You just associate those two things. The next Premier League game is one, I think, which illustrates something we were talking about a bit earlier on is that you know, the, the perception that this Arsenal team could go and steamroller anyone and it was a one one draw away to Charlton. Uh Paolo De Canio put Charlton ahead. Was it the was it a free kick from Thierry Henry?
2: Yeah, it was one of those ones where it was that ridiculously crowded box and he was just on the edge and he put it on a postage stamp right mm. in the top corner and celebrations I mean he went mad that day, the celebrations I remember, but it was also I remember being quite frustrated at the end of that game because we we dominated and really couldn't find a winner. Um, you know, it was I think it was a three o'clock kick off on a on a Saturday and uh, we were. <sighs> it was annoying at that time because United were doing quite well they were on a decent run and you felt like it was dropped points because it's Charlton and, mm. and stuff but you look back now and actually realise how important it was just not to lose those, lose those games
0: That's yeah. it and uh, you know momentum was so crucial to this season I mean you know people say oh this, t- this team drew quite a few games but I think that thing of just continually remaining unbeaten it gave this team something to preserve at all times. It felt like in every game they were fighting to extend that run, and that kind of propelled them through the campaign.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure it became a thing until a little bit later on. Sure. You know, I think you know at that point of the season, it's November or end of October. Mm. But yeah, the longer it went on, the, certainly the more it became part of uh, part of the psyche. Um, we we won't mention the Carling Cup too much in this particular podcast, but it's worth mentioning the game uh, that we played against Rotherham not least because there was a mental penalty shootout I think it was 9-8 yeah. Graham Stack had to take a penalty if I remember uh,
2: yeah the 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 only ever, ever penalty shootout at Highbury And uh, really, is yeah, it yeah wow was, yeah was, I think yeah, there were 12 penalties I think it, it was yeah well 9-8 my math says that's
1: yeah but there oh, could have sorry. been misses on either side oh yeah, yeah. yeah it
2: was manic it
0: went manic. around again I was there that night and of yeah. course our I'll always remember it as well for the debut of Seth Fabregas.
1: That's exactly that what why that game is notable. Yeah, mm. Fabregas had arrived that summer from well, not f- well from Barcelona, but he was not contracted to Barcelona. That's how we got him in. Uh, I remember it was the, the probably the first ever Ars Blog exclusive yeah. was announcing that signing on the website because we had some uh, some very good inside information about that deal and uh, you know how it was going to go down and when it was going to happen and. Uh, obviously it didn't work out in the long term as as well as we might have liked but uh, yeah uh, a great debut for a player what number did he wear 57 57 I believe yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, and I remember I mean I think he was six, was he 15 or 16? 16 16 I think. I think yeah and it wasn't that he was particularly spectacular in that game but just the idea that this 16 year old player who just arrived from Barcelona could step into the team playing alongside some pretty senior players I mean Wiltor was out there Canu mm. Edu and uh, and what I remember about it is he, he he just didn't give the ball away. Mm. You know, he was just very measured, uh, and it wasn't a, it wasn't like a particularly eye catching thing. But for someone to acquit themselves like that, so inexperienced, was pretty remarkable.
2: And he, you know, he didn't look weak. No, you know, and against lower league opposition where, you know, they had a couple of clodhoppers in there who were putting their foot in, and he he was just able to sort of nimbly master his way around the game. He mm. was. I loved watching him you knew straight away I mean it's very few players that you watch and you go oh this guy's going to make it especially at at
1: 16 yeah. you know to come in and you know still be physically developing but not look out of place was was really something amazing Hmm. the next game was one of those steamroller games a 4-1 win uh, away at Leeds Thierry Henry scored twice Robert Perez Gilberto Silva Um, just one of those where we were on it and the opposition couldn't live with us
2: yeah, it was the first sign that we really were taking revenge on Leeds after that uh, game at the end of the previous season. I mean, we scored a lot of goals against them this year and yeah. um, we were unbelievable on the break. Just a, a just so much pace. It was all the pace and power you'd expect from from a, from a team with Thierry mm. re-leading the line. Um, I'm just looking at who else played that game. And yeah, Bergkamp was kind of feeding the ball in. Lundberg was there. Um, we were without Vieira at this time, who had a, a thigh injury. So we had a lot of Gilberto and Ray Parla in the middle of midfield. Mm. Um, so it was an interesting lineup. But you never really felt like we were we were going to we were weak
0: no we took Leeds apart I mean this was the Leeds defence anchored by Rocket Jr
2: yeah this was the Leeds that was <laughs> started to fall apart it well, seems, wasn't it? It was... World
1: Cup winner Rocket
0: Jr though, it, w- he fairness. was World Cup winner but I mean I, I don't know who the guy who turned up in England was because he didn't look anything like that but uh, yeah I mean and Jermaine Pennon, who we mentioned before played for Leeds that day yeah, he was on loan there for that season. Before the regulations changed yeah. and you, you couldn't face your parent
1: club. So our next game was a Champions League game and Arsenal had to win. And they did, but they left it very, very, very late. I've not celebrated
0: many goals like I did that one. I yeah. remember I was in the North Bank at Highbury in the upper tier and when the ball hit the net, I just... I was near an aisle and I just charged down the stairs. I did the proper <laughs> stair run. <you> know. <laughs> uh, it's probably one of my fonder memories of Ashley Cole. Obviously, all our memories of him massively tainted forever. <laughs> sure. Uh, but that was a, a huge moment. And he didn't score many goals for Arsenal, but he really came up Trump's That a header of all things.
1: Yeah, diving header, wasn't it? It was a bird yeah. camp. Yeah,
2: I mean, it came right at the end of a game where it felt like we were going to play for three or four days and never score. Yeah. And it was real last gas desperate stuff mm. looped ball right to the back post wasn't it and he yes. just sort of nipped in around the yeah yeah. well we stayed bottom of the group after that result but we were it, gave us a it. it gave us a chance it gave us a chance
1: yeah we had a big job to do uh, and we'll, we'll come to that shortly because it's one of the performances of the season uh, but then we had our first North London derby uh, of the season as well another game in which we came from behind to win mm. Darren Anderson scored he was fit for once <laughs> <laughs> the one time he was fit he I had know. to go and score against us um,
2: yeah I mean it was a, it was another second half show as well I think it was quite a frustrating afternoon at Highbury that day and um,
0: Perez and Neumann got yeah. the goals Pires was always good for a goal against or, Spurs always
2: yeah. yeah I mean I think Wenger keeps bringing that up even today I think he was asked recently to talk about whether or not the foreign players are able to withstand you know do they get the derby atmosphere and all the sure. rest of it and he pinpointed the fact that Perez, when he was brought into the side, was someone who just didn't look like he'd be able to handle that type of environment. Mm. And he scored more goals than anybody else against Tottenham in his career. So. I think he
1: shares that record with Adi Bayor, right. which is a bit unfortunate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe we can bring Perez back for one more game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just See, bring him on if there's a penalty. <laughs> yeah, edge the last ahead. minute. That would be amazing. Or if we need a penalty. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the next game was a three-nil win away to Birmingham, one which I guess you would consider routine. But I do remember this game in particular for Dennis Bergkamp's goal. Uh, a guy who wasn't necessarily in the spring of his career but who showed what an amazing finisher he was when he was given the chance but still showed that he had plenty of pace yeah do you remember I mean, that was, breakaway um, yeah i do i remember being really ran surprised from by it the wayline yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: and then uh, cuz i think he was captain for the day wasn't he and uh, his celebration he ran down pointing to the captain's armband after he'd scored as well so, so. he did yeah um yeah, it's almost
0: reminiscent of that story about Canu when he was at Portsmouth and he scored a goal like that, ran for the halfway line, and then Harry, Harry Redknapp said he had to go home in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I remember being startled that Burkham kind of had an his locker because he had, by this point, really changed as a player. Like, he wasn't the dynamic force, and he was... M- a, a, principally a creator, not a goal scorer yeah. At this stage,
1: yeah, he kept things. Uh, he sort of tried. He linked things between the midfield and and the wide areas. Yeah. But you know, the the ability he had to pick a pass was just second to none. Really,
0: we call it a four four two, but uh, we probably wouldn't call it that now. The way that
1: he dropped deep
0: and Pirz yeah. and Newbuck you know, ran on past.
1: Yeah, four four one one maybe. Yeah.
2: yeah, interesting bench that day. We had uh, Graham Stack, the goalkeeper, Stathis. Tavloridis, my man the Tavloridis, yeah, there he the is, young yeah. Greek centre back, Justin Hoyt, Aliadiere and Canu. Mm-hmm. So you know the squad was stretched at this point.
1: Justin Hoyt came on as well. Yeah, yeah, after was about crazy. an hour for uh, for Gael Clichy. Clichy started, Seagal started, so there's another player. I mean, I know he was one who got uh, quite a bit of stick yeah. and was seen as a figure of fun, but you no, know, he was a guy capable of coming in and doing a job doing a decent job at centre half.
0: I think he was better than a lot of the centre halves we had in the in the sort of decade following.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um I mean it, it, his lack of pace was talked about as a, as an issue, but he was a very good footballer. He could good really on the pass ball. The ball. Yeah, yeah.
2: And he came to us he was um been crowned French player of the year the year before as well, hadn't he? Yeah, so he I mean, had.
0: He was at Lille, I think. Yeah. So. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he he came in with huge shoes to fill people would you know, it wasn't long since we'd lost you know Tony, Tony Adams, Adams
1: Steve Bolden <sighs>
0: and, and I think those expectations were always unrealistic but he played his part in, mm. the, in, in the Invincible season
1: That was part one of our look back at the 2003-2004 season in which Arsenal went through the entire Premier League campaign without losing a game it wasn't true of all the other competitions, sadly, but I guess you can't have everything. This podcast is exclusively available to Arsblog members on Patreon. Thank you for becoming an Arsblog member. Thank you for supporting what we do and enabling us to do more and to give you more great Arsenal content. Part two is available right now at patreon.com forward slash blog or on your preferred listening device, whether it's a phone, tablet, computer or anything else with the unique podcast URL you get from the Arsblog members page on Patreon. sign up for a one dollar a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog. all lowercase go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash arsblog. in 2003-2004 arsenal went through the entire league season without losing a game it's a record which remains unequal to this day. It was an amazing season of football from Arsenal, full of incident and drama, controversy, on the pitch and off the pitch. There were highs and lows. The highs were really high, but that was also true of the lows. Not that they were high, they were really low also. In part two of this podcast about the unbeaten season, we pick up the story as Arsenal get ready to travel to Inter Milan to face the Italian Giants in the Champions League and turn in what is still one of the most memorable performances in Arsenal's European history. The Champions League would ultimately prove heartbreaking with a devastating quarter-final defeat to Chelsea... But Arsenal got themselves back on track. Thierry Henry's performance against Liverpool still lives long in the memory, and Arsenal drove all the way to May to become invincible. So that takes us to one of the performances which stands out. Uh, during this season that isn't part of the Premier League. Arsenal had to go to the San Siro and beat Inter Milan. At that point, not an easy task whatsoever. They were a very good side with some very good players. Like you said, we were without Saul Campbell. We were without Patrick Vieira at that time. You know, so two really big, big, important players. I guess, you know, if you're looking at uh, Arsenal going to try and win a game like that now without, for example, Alexis Sanchez and Mesut Ozil, two of the star players in the team. Uh, and we we ran riot,
0: yeah. And of course, Burkamp you couldn't get him on a, a plane, so yeah. he wasn't there either. Yeah, um, and, and I think historically at that time, English teams had a terrible record in Italy, um, so this was seen as a very very daunting fixture, and probably one of the most remarkable results of Arsene Wenger's entire reign.
1: It was it was one one until. Uh, Relatively, or two-one, I think, until relatively late, wasn't it? So there was, a, yeah,
2: yeah, it was very late. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, it was a it was a bad start because I remember uh, who is it? The uh, the Inter striker who's now a big lad, Christian uh, Vieri Christian Vieri <laughs> yeah. It was never def- def- small no big big deflection and it kind of looped in mm. and um, our equaliser was great I remember it was a really cool kind of like Thierry Henry side that foot. goes the other way around Henry scored ah, first and that he? was an equaliser for Inter yeah. Milan you well, there see. you go you see the memory plays tricks it sure does um, but yeah no it was really tight mm. and, and
1: oh, it was that third goal well it just I think everything that was brilliant about Thierry Henry is summed up with that third goal isn't it <laughs> I mean they were crying for a penalty of the other end. Yeah. I think it was Matarazzi, yeah. uh, who you would enjoy watch cry all day long. Uh, but as he was being loomed over by Hans Lehman, who was telling him, you know, get up. It's not a penalty, you idiot. Thierry Henry was racing up the other end and scoring a goal. Not only was the finish amazing, but he was playing against uh, Javier Zanetti, who was just one of the most consistent performers in world football at that time he was an incredible player and he turned him inside out it's
4: not going to bother Arsenal because they've got Thierry Henry on the ball and Zanetti trying to catch up with him Henry steps inside Pirès is there Henry will have to do it alone Ah! Sensational goal from Thierry Henry to secure a Sensational result for Arsenal
2: I mean it was it was just so quick and it was it was like he was toying with him as well because mm. he got to the edge of the area and he sort of stopped, checked, mm. and then went again on his left foot because usually you'd expect Thierry to try and cut in on his right, mm. and bang, like straight in off the post. Such a beautiful low finish, and
0: yeah. yeah. Well, I think I think because Zanetti was a good defender, he wasn't going to let Omri do what he wanted to do, and that's coming onto his right, right foot. foot. And so Omri he kind of came back on himself and had to go on the left. But it was a great finish. I mean, you know, you didn't necessarily anticipate that from him, but it, so few players can do what he did in that moment to get from one end of the pitch to the other in that time. I mean, you can think of a few occasions where he did similar things for Arsenal. Obviously, the one against Spurs, the one against Real Madrid. It's it's almost like a cheat, isn't it? To have a guy who <laughs> yeah. can just produce that out of nothing. Yeah.
2: I mean, it was it really was peak Henry, I felt yeah. like. I mean, that was that was him at the top of his game when you really felt like he could, Easily be voted the world's best player, and you wouldn't really blink.
1: Yeah, um, he never got that. Never got that accolade. Um, no, no, no. Which Is, this was the year if he was ever going to get it, it was
0: going to be this year. I mean, he, he, you know, he was, as you say, at the absolute height of his powers at that time. Mm. So hard to stop.
1: And that was game one at three-one. But then uh, Edu scored, took off his shirt, and went running yeah. behind the goal. Robert Pires scored. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. I remember Ali Adier coming off the bench and kind of running riot in the yeah. last few minutes.
1: Yes. Yeah. If and you look at the replays now you can hear someone when they're celebrating the goal or someone like, Yes, Jamie <laughs> Ali Adier in pursuit. Because <laughs> a-
2: Henri actually got taken off before the, the final goal. Because he and was he carrying was, an injury. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and he, he, was, he
1: scored that goal carrying an injury.
2: And we had a young we had a young lad called. Papadopoulos on the on the bench.
1: Yeah, he, he was, was on a, loan for the season. Yeah, I, I
2: mean, like, can you imagine? Like, he never actually. I don't think he ever really. Did he play a game for Arsenal? I think he played once. To be on the bench for that game of games. I mean, what a what a night for him. Mm. You know, he was just a kid. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that was um, oh, amazing night. It was really, an amazing really yeah,
1: night. and really sort of instilled some belief in what the team could do in Europe, as well, which is. You know, when you think of the way the, the, the campaign started, that wouldn't have been the case. Um, yeah, and
2: Ray Parlour was captain for the night that day.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: And I think as well, you know, we always look at that result in isolation and we say, well, what a thing. But to do that against a team who'd come to your stadium and beaten you 3-0 yeah. earlier, you know, just a couple of months ago, Pretty, pretty dramatic. And with turnaround. the pressure
1: of knowing you had to win, of course, if you wanted to to make progress. Well, that was special. I think
4: uh, not only to play at San Siro against Inter Milan. The, the special thing was we knew if we don't, we didn't win there, it wouldn't have been enough. So. Uh, we had to win and we did it in style
1: so the next game was a nil-nil against Fulham which I think is a game in which Edwin van der Sar made 507 <laughs> saves <laughs> yeah he was the David
2: de Gea before David de Gea was David de Gea you know, yeah. it was um, just one of those days I think and sometimes that happened at Arsenal you know you just you could just keep firing in the shots yeah. and, and nothing, would, nothing would go for you also Champions League hangover right you know, just couldn't get up the gears
1: yeah I guess there was a former Arsenal player playing for Fulham that day
2: Yes,
0: there was. I uh, I know who. Do you do you remember Andrew? I, I just clocked it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Morris Volts. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, well, there were two actually. Junichi Inamoto also played for Fulham. Was he playing? Oh, no, he did. Yes, yeah. he did.
1: Yeah. Blimey.
2: Wow. Although he didn't. Did he ever play for Arsenal? Did he get off the bench? I'm not sure. One. I'm tempted to say. At- one game a European maybe maybe I'm or not sure
0: he ever played in the Premier League for us. no
2: maybe it was a Carling Cup or something yeah this was
0: one of the games in which Arsene Wenger tried his his tried and tested tactic of all the strikers we ended with Burkamp, Henri Canu and Ali Adier on the pitch yeah uh, and still
1: couldn't and find a breakthrough and Pires and couldn't find a breakthrough Um the next game in the Premier League, we're ignoring the Carling Cup now at this point because, you know...
0: Seth's uh, first goal, though, in uh, that game.
1: Well, yeah, it was a 5-1, wasn't it, <laughs> um, against Wolves. But the next game was a 1-1 draw with Leicester. We were pegged back quite late, I think, in, in that game by uh, Craig Hignett. Yeah. Ashley well, the- Cole sent off for what was a horrendous time It really was. <laughs> that
2: was uh, was that a three game ban he got for that
1: I, uh, yeah, I would imagine um, so straight red it would have been I think
2: also yeah. one of my one of my favourite goals of the Invincibles though scored by Gilberto that was header that the header yeah the yeah, thumper amazing kind of swift break broke down the left crossing from Bergkamp Gilberto round about the penalty spot and mm. just thumped it straight in um, it's interesting isn't it for a player who's
0: so often thought of his defensive qualities he did pop up here and there with some big goals
1: Gilberto. yeah, yeah he did mm. We then beat Blackburn Rovers 1-0 with a goal from Dennis Bergkamp in the 11th minute. I can't think of a worse way to spend 79 minutes than hanging on to a one-goal <laughs> lead. It, it, it's just the worst scoreline. You know, I know Blackburn probably wouldn't have been that much of a, uh, a threat, but uh, just uh, when you can't get that second goal, there's always the chance you're going to get hauled back in, isn't there? huh.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't remember much about this game, but like, and a, a, a scoreline that narrow is always a stressful entity. But I guess that's this team again. You know, they mm. they were able to see that through. How many Arsenal teams since then would have struggled or buckled in that position?
1: Well, I mean, the next game was a one-one draw at Bolton. Sam Allardyce's Bolton, and we'd gone ahead through Robert Perez, and then uh, Henrik Pedersen scored with about seven minutes to go. Mm. You know, you can see that goal now, and everyone would go bananas.
2: Well, I mean, in fairness, I think there was quite a few questioning Arsenal at this time because it was the second game, well, in in three where we conceded late after going ahead, and um, you know, United were still very much there and thereabouts. You know, they were really pushing. So, I mean, again, it's one of these ones we think didn't lose. Brilliant. It's then the unbeaten run. It starts to become more and more of a thing. Mm. But um, there were some really tough away days during this period, particularly in the Christmas period.
1: Yeah, there was a 3-0 at home to Wolves on uh, Boxing Day and then a 1-0 win against Southampton Perez scoring after about half an hour in that game
2: yeah I mean there was nothing there was nothing particularly memorable about this run of games aside Mm. from we were just trying to grind out result after result and if I'm right in thinking that actually prior to Christmas United were actually still top even though they'd actually drop well I mean they'd lost a game game by that point um, so, yeah, we were we were right in the thick of drawing things.
1: Mm. More revenge on Leeds with a 4-1 win in the FA Cup, which was uh, a fantastic performance as well. Colo Toure scoring um, a late goal there. And then in the Premier League, Everton, 1-1 draw at Goodison Park. Canu scored for us to put us ahead. Again, we conceded uh, an equaliser to... Thomas Radziński, <laughs> the very pest himself. But again, you could understand. I remember at the time people were saying, well, "Is there something missing with this team? Can they not hold on to a lead?" You know, having drop points uh, at Bolton, having uh, drop points at Everton, a late goal where you think we should we should hang on. But I guess when we look back, the draws are yeah, yeah I mean, they're valuable.
2: Interestingly, in the post-game stuff of this game, Wenger uh, highlighted the mental. Uh, block we had off the back of losing to Rooney's goal the year before and he says we were never ourselves and have not forgotten the defeat from last season I feel that the mental shock we got here last season was still there we were never ourselves and that played a part in the game for us
1: yeah. Fucking Rooney! <laughs> you know? Yeah, he would uh, he would punish us a bit down the years, He's wouldn't haunted he? haunted us for some time, I think he really. Has. I mean, I,
0: I, th- I wondered were what, what the sheer physical demands on a relatively small squad during this period a factor in some of these results? Because we were playing a lot of games without the ability to rotate, maybe as much as we could with mm. the squad with the size we have now. Maybe that was an issue. Well,
2: it, I mean, it it really didn't help that we'd had the the bans imposed from the from the Old Trafford stuff as well, and then. I think Lehman picked up another ban because he chucked the ball at Kevin Phillips's head during a Southampton game just a couple of weeks prior to this. Well, he
1: got away with that. He didn't get a ban at all because he played oh, every okay. game. So he got charged, so he initially. got charged. Yeah, um, yeah, he did. Then there was then there was this period, sort of from early January to to around, I think, the start of February or mid February, where we had these results. They're games that do not really live long in the memory. But I think what we should talk about in this period, I'll just go through some of the results. A 4-1 win over Middlesbrough. 2-0 win away uh, at Aston Villa. We had a 1-0 uh, defeat to Middlesbrough, who we were playing in the Carling Cup. Um, then we played Middlesbrough in the FA Cup and beat them 4-1 again. Then we had the second leg of the uh, Carling Cup against Middlesbrough. We ended up going out We had a 2-1 win against Manchester City. But something had happened which was amazing at the end of January. It had. It had. Arsenal signed probably the hottest prospect in Spanish football, came pretty much out of the blue, right towards the end of the window. Jose Antonio Reyes was flown from lovely warm Sevilla to freezing cold North London. I seem to remember it was snowing. Uh, Wasn't there a story about he didn't even bring a coat? (laughs) <laughs> which probably speaks to how things went for him. If you leave Spain for uh, wintry North London and you don't think to bring a coat, that's probably a sign that's, <laughs> there's something missing there a little bit. But it, like, And as well, the fee at the time was £16 million, pounds, which for a long time remained the, uh, the club record transfer fee. It was hugely exciting, James.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we ended up paying it all in the end, did we? Because it was all so dependent on how Reyes did with the club. But it was he had been talked about as an Arsenal target. I think our interest was kind of known, but no one anticipated the deal happening when it did mm. as quickly as it did. It seems mad to say this, but I actually think that there was an injury to Jeremy Aliadier of all people, earlier in the month that I think maybe made it happen a little bit quicker because Arson had been actually pushing to get Aliadier in the first team. He started one of those Middlesbrough games, but was withdrawn. And Reyes it was What it was with Reyes was that Arcemenger at this time was known for his eye for talent and for being quite scrupulous about what deals he would and wouldn't do. The fact that he was prepared to go out and spend this much money on a young player,
1: I mean, we all just thought this guy is going to be something really special. You know? yeah. yeah, I think it's a signing as well, which... Perhaps we've wanted the club to replicate a little bit because this was an Arsenal team that had... Look at the attacking talent. It had Canu, it had toward Bergkamp, Henri, Perez, Jumberg, mm. a burgeoning Ali Adier, even if he never made it, was still very, very highly rated. We're playing a utility player still at centre-half mm. alongside Pascal Sigan. Um, you know, there was some talk of Justin Hoyt making a breakthrough. Uh, and, and maybe you would say if they need to make a signing, it's, it's uh, in defence, Hmm. But we signed another forward. And I think that really played an important part. When you look at Reyes' contribution between the the day he signed and the end of the season, he played a part in in that unbeaten run and winning
2: the title. It gave everybody a lift, I think. I mean, mean, you can make signings for the wrong reason. And I think January signings, in general, Wenger's not a great fan of. And I think that's been Mm. proved over the years. But at that particular time... That signing created a huge buzz around the club and was the perfect pick-me-up, you know, in the winter months. Um, And it, I mean, it massively helped that obviously he made an instant impact
1: as well, right? I mean... Well, we think that he did. In our memories, he did. We think his first action as an Arsenal player was yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. the goal we're going to talk about in a few minutes. But he was part of the team that w- went to Middlesbrough or played against Middlesbrough. In and the I think couple. he scored
0: an own goal. He did score an own goal. He did score an own goal. He was unfortunate. But I mean, you know, eventually it would make his presence felt on the season. But it was a it was a really forward-thinking signing from Arsenal because at that stage, Burkham had kind of entered a period of his career where... At the end of every season you didn't know if he was going to continue. It yeah. was kind of a year by year thing. And I think at this point in the season, Arson had probably decided or the club were aware that Wiltord and Carnu weren't going to be around mm. in mm. the long term. So he was rather than waiting till the summer to do a deal, they saw a chance to get Reyes in. And it was a lift. It was a lift. It really invigorated everyone around the club. I remember the fans you know his first appearance at Highbury, people were so excited to see this guy play
1: and I think we we forget as well the context of that season. Part of what was going on was the club trying to build the new stadium we well, 're not trying to build it, but trying to get the finances mm. together mm. to build this new stadium, this new exciting project that was you know supposed to be the thing that was going to take the club into the next onto the next level. There was talk of. Uh, the club being able, to, unable to pay the players at one point, the, such was the the financial restriction at that time, and all of a sudden we're banging out sixteen million pounds, or you know the equivalent mm. of, you know, to or committing to that amount anyway to sign to sign Reyes. Yeah, so,
2: and it was a it was a statement of intent, and it it kind of made you feel more comfortable with the whole stadium move. Yeah, but, you know, I think at one point we even denied that we would be kind of restricted by the stadium move on the the financial (laughs) side of things and that you know we'd still be able to compete in the transfer market obviously that entire shift happened alongside all the money pouring in at Chelsea and stuff Mm. which kind of really changed the game Mm. Um, but no it was big it was bold it was sort of it was kind of it was us at the time you know we did things with a bit of a strut and I guess David Dean was there kind of loosening the purse strings yeah um, at the time
1: so we had then two relatively functional wins uh, against Wolves away Southampton at home and then came two games uh, in a week against Chelsea and the first one was in the FA Cup and that was when Jose Antonio Reyes announced himself to Highbury uh, the The opening goal that he scored was sensational Chelsea had gone ahead through Mutu and Reyes I don't know. There's something about a, a ball that's hit with that power that's still rising yeah. when it hits the back of the net. Yeah. That's just one of the one of the great sights in football.
0: Perez, now Reyes. Reyes shoots. Oh,
4: he's done it! The young Spaniard has arrived at Highbury with a breathtaking goal.
0: Yeah, loved it. I mean, what a way to announce yourself to the home crowd. Uh, it was it was perfect, really. It was perfect and a hell of a goal. And of course, he got the the winner in
1: the game as well. And that's right. It was a, a shot that John Terry failed to keep out of the net. So you know, some extra points for that. Yeah, I. They, I mean, the goals came really close
2: together as well. So it had that kind of double impact yeah. where you're still on a high from the first one, and then bang, the whole momentum of the game was shifted because once again we'd gone one nil down. Mm. So there we were, two one up, and and everybody was singing Rose's name and. Yeah, I mean, it was, the, the, the start, well, it was supposed to be the start of a new era, really. Yeah. Um, it still was at the time.
1: It still was. <laughs> the next game was a, a league game at Stamford Bridge when Ida Gudjansson scored after a minute. And again, Arsenal dug in, came from behind, won the game. I want you to tell me if there's anything specific that sticks in your mind about the Patrick Vieira goal. I like the sound yes <laughs> <laughs> that 's exactly that 's exactly what i 'm talking about. I mean, we can talk all day long about the amazing pass from yeah. Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp, yeah. which just like, when you talk about a pass dissecting a defence, it just cut them wide open. Vieira was there. But it was one of those brilliant goals that when it rolled in. You can just kind of hear the clang of the hitting the, the, the back of the net, whatever the, the ties are or whatever that's keeping the net in place. Just that beautiful metallic sound as it hit the back of the net. I love that.
0: Yeah, it's a great goal. I mean, yeah, incredible pass. Vieira was monstrously good that day, as I recall. Mm. My brother's been a Chelsea season ticket holder for 20 years or so, and he still talks about that as one of the great individual performances uh, that he's seen at Stamford Maybe the best. He was, he was brilliant. And Edu got the other goal that day. I mean, Edu's someone who. You know, when we talk about the Invincibles, isn't someone who's necessarily the first name on people's lips. Mm. But when you look over these results, you look over these games, you know, he played in that Inter Milan game. He featured so much in some of the big, big moments. And uh, this was another big contribution from him.
2: Yeah, it was a really um, scrappy goal, wasn't it? I think a corner came over and yeah. Sarsman yeah. kind of slapped it at the back post and yeah. it was just there to kind of
1: scramble it in at close quarters. But uh, I remember him like... Th- Tapping yeah, yeah, the badge as yeah. he yeah. Mm-hmm. as he ran off celebrating that goal. So, you know, another big game, you know, when you think about the 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 games that we'd won the Northland and Derby, we would beaten Liverpool at Anfield, we've beaten Chelsea a couple of times in a week. Um no surprise that we struggled a little bit in our Champions League game against Celta Vigo. We won three two, but it was a, a a bit tough. There was a a two one win against Charlton. Um, Another one of those games where you would expect Arsenal to win relatively easily. That
2: game I remember because we were 2-0 up inside four minutes. And then we kind of... we took the foot off. We took the foot off. And that was really frustrating at Highbury sometimes. Because you felt like you could sometimes watch an Arsenal team and you thought, go on, go and get seven, go and get eight. Greedy football fan, always asking for more. And we didn't that day. And we ended up kind of doing just enough, clinging on. They came back in the second half. And uh, there were a few nervy days like that at Highbury, though, throughout that campaign. Yeah, I
0: mean, this team did have a capacity to blow people away in the, in the first 20 minutes. They had that in their locker, but
1: sometimes they would do that and you would feel like they're going to go
0: on and win five or six, but they they didn't actually do that too often.
1: We then uh, went to Portsmouth in the FA Cup and won 5-1, the kind of performance. I think, was there not some uh, team of the week that week where it was all Arsenal players? Was it, was it Garth Crooks? Yeah, Crux? that sounds right.
2: And I think... Uh, I mean, Henri got a standing ovation from the home fans, didn't he, at the end of the game, I think. So I think so, yeah. It was on- he
0: got more than one of those at Fratton Park,
2: but he yeah, always seems yeah. to have a good
0: game there.
1: Yeah, we played them. It was a brilliant, brilliant performance. Reyes, I think, got a goal. Uh, Colo Touri? did score, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Sheringham had to get one for, for Pompey, on because of he course. always did score
1: against us. But So we had a 2-0 win against Celta Vigo in the, in the Champions League. There was a beautiful Bergkamp-Henri goal in this
2: First one of the, it was a, I sort of I vaguely remember a kind of camp back hill and on recharging through and whipping a ball into the back back of the net, but
0: you've got better recall than me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I can't quite remember that one. Two one win over Bolton then in the Premier League, uh, or two nil win over Blackburn away from home in the Premier League. Um, I don't really remember anything remarkable about that game. Um, Bolton two one at home, Perez. Camp scoring Ivan Campo scoring for Bolton. because um, interestingly at this point it's um
2: it's not so much Manchester United that are posing a test as Chelsea are behind us as well. Mm. Um,
0: well and we were about to go into a, a, a really crunch run of fixtures where we faced you know Chelsea and United twice in four games. Mm.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that's such a tough run of games. When you look now, uh, it's Chelsea, United, United, Chelsea, Liverpool. I mean, what a run of fixtures! Yeah. yeah, it's terrifying even now thinking about it. But then, and obviously, it had a fairly profound effect on on the season. A one-one draw away from home with Chelsea. Perhaps a feeling that we didn't do enough in the away leg. Yeah, I mean, despite an away goal,
2: there was, you know, there was huge hype around that game. I remember people talking about it being like one of the hottest tickets in sport that Mm. year. You know, the the tickets were going for thousands, and we didn't play badly, but we just, you know, we just could have. I think we could have won it that night, and we didn't. And. Maybe we kind of rested on the idea that we, you know, it was Chelsea and we beat them at home because that was the kind of record we had against them. You know, we, mm. we were we were amazing, hoodoo over them. Um, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, was, in
0: any context, I mean, a one or draw away in the first leg of a Champions League game, yeah, of a Champions League game is a very decent result mm. on paper
2: nice, nice header by Pires as well no?
1: yeah yeah. Yeah. A, That's a fairly rare, to, yeah, fairly rare yeah. Uh, fairly rare 1-1 with Manchester United then in the Premier League the Thierry Henry goal this was the one where he just leathered it from mm-hmm. almost he was just standing and it whizzed past Roy Carroll if, if I'm correct yeah and uh, the celebration was that the celebration where you kept brushing Reyes off on. Reyes away? Yeah, 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 yeah. you never Every-
2: really got the feeling that Henri liked Reyes well, for some reason. Was this when that
1: chat started? I mean, there was always talk about that. <laughs> I think so, I think so. Yeah, that was that was certainly where it seemed to begin. You know, the two combined pretty well, um, mm. and did combine very well. I can remember, was it probably a goal in the do you know what I think? It was that really uh, amazing five-three win over Middlesbrough the following season. Of course, and Reyes played a sixty-seven-yard diagonal ball over the top, and Henri yeah. just scored. And you know they seem to get each get each other on uh, get on okay there, but yeah, Henri doesn't didn't like to be touched sometimes. <laughs> but uh, Louis Saha equalised for Manchester United. I, I do wonder if that goal had a bit of an impact because we played them five days later in the in the FA Cup uh, and went out well the uh, team
0: selection was very controversial that day do you remember I think Thierry Henry started on the bench Reyes started on the bench so Ali Adier, who Arsene really did seek to include all season long came mm. into the 11 alongside Dennis Burkamp um, it was the, I mean look
1: when you look at it now and you look at the schedule it's amazing that there wasn't more rotation when you think about it now we talk about players being unable to play I mean y- you can look at some fixtures and say, "Okay, that's a tough run of fixtures because of the amount of time between the games." But when you add the the fact that you're playing really high quality opposition, it takes more out of you. I think when you're playing games like that, the concentration is higher, the physical effort is much higher, just the intensity, the psychological nature of those games. The the fatigue must have been uh, yeah. I mean, crippling.
2: It, it, Ferguson even said after the game that he benefited knowing that Arsenal were going to have to play Chelsea in the Champions League just a few days afterwards and stuff so um, mm. I mean we, we, we actually did everything but score I think in the opening minutes of that game and um, Skulls scored and didn't they kick they kicked they kicked Reyes a lot in that I, game
1: I can't remember they kicked somebody who who there was a big doubt over yeah
2: it was Reyes Reyes got kicked very badly
1: yeah a skullsian tackle perhaps was it or yeah. was it yeah
2: I hope it wasn't the case from Scholes that he felt he had to stop Rares because it would be very disappointing if that was the case. That's mm. what Wenger said afterwards.
1: Yeah, so that was us out of the, the FA Cup. Um, and although the focus was on the league and, and being unbeaten to that point, there was still a real sense that Europe was something that was in our hands. Mm. And I have to say, like, even now, thinking about the game against Chelsea, the home game against Chelsea in the Champions League quarterfinals. If I could turn back time and change any one result in our history, this would be really close to the top. You could maybe say the Champions League final against Barcelona, of course, but just in terms of what it might have meant for this team and this group of players. Because when you think about who was left in the tournament, it was uh, Monaco... Porto, Porter. of course, he went on to, and yeah. yeah, I mean, we could have, we could have stopped the evil that is Jose Mourinho before he got the chance to, yeah, to flourish, before he was nourished by a Champions League victory. I mean, honestly, I feel like
2: we deserve to win the champ. We were a better team that year than we were when we reached the final. obviously. Yeah. oh yeah, 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 hundred percent. And weirdly, despite the fact that we got to the final, I feel like we were close. We, we should have. I mean. It was just, if, I'm I'm more pained by us going out in the quarterfinals than I than I was even us losing in the final against Barcelona. Yeah, you know, yeah. there was so much about that team that we just felt like we were oh, destined to win it and we didn't. That, I mean, it's a real goal. sliding doors moment. Right? Yeah, I mean, it.
0: It sounds absurd to say for a team who went the season unbeaten, but do you think that it,
1: is it fair to say that the Invincibles underachieved? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. I, think it is. I think it is. I think you can be ex- uh, proud of the achievement of going unbeaten and think that it is something remarkable and amazing but also think that this team and those players could have done more that season maybe you know when we talk about having a small squad and what have you you wonder if maybe a couple of extra bodies might yeah. might have been a benefit particularly in midfield areas mm. where you know the guys were were run off their feet but the the, the moment that Wayne Bridge goal went in I can still mm. I can it, oh, it's I had a, Sickening.
2: I was sitting just. I mean, it was just next to the Highbury benches, and I had that angled, w- mm. right behind bridge, and you could see the ball going in before, before it had kind of hit the, hit the back of the net, and you just every. I've never seen people leave the stadium more angry than they did that night. They were so frustrated because yeah. everybody realised what that meant.
0: And that night turned on its head because we had taken the lead on on the evening itself yeah. through Reyes stabbing in at the far post and oh god it, 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 you know I w- you watch that bridge go and every time I see it it feels like it's in slow motion e- whatever our speed I'm watching it at
1: and like you're getting a kick in the balls <laughs> at the same time yeah
0: <laughs> it wasn't a goal for which I remember f- holding anyone particularly
2: accountable it wasn't like was there anyone who was massively at fault it, it felt like we were just very fatigued at yeah. that point yeah. in the game we'd, you know we'd had chances we probably should have won it by that point yeah. and we just fell apart
1: yeah we ran out of steam Mm. completely ran out of steam Um, and that was crushing I think for the players because they knew as well how close they could be to, to winning the Champions League yeah, I mean, look, Chelsea went on to
0: play Monaco. They lost. They, they were a mess um, against didn't, Monaco. Yeah, they fucked it up in a big way, didn't yeah, they? Raniere yeah, Ranieri took a lot of stick for his well, I can't, who did, substitutions. Yeah, he, he,
2: I mean, that's, he really got the Tinker Man stuff that,
3: mm.
0: yeah. that day. Um, but, you know, I, when you look at that Monaco side, we I mean—I think we we would have steamrolled them, obviously. Yeah,
1: absolutely, and I think we would have beaten Porto in the final. I think we would have won the Champions League had we won that game. I've no doubt we would have won the Champions League. I mean, it's hypothetical, of course, but would you would you swap the unbeaten season for the Champions League that season? Would you take losing a game that, I, in the
2: league? I think at the time, if Arsenal had won the league and lost a game and won the Champions League, I'd have been pretty happy. Yeah. Yeah, I'd yeah. have taken that.
0: I think so as well. I mean, it's, you know, it's sort of been a long-standing debate, hasn't it, between United fans and Arsenal fans of the treble versus... The unbeaten mm. season. It's it's a it's a completely unique achievement to go through that season without losing. But yeah, there, there was more to be done for this mm. team. And I think what was kind of strange, projecting forward a bit, is that you know, they never pushed on and got close to it again really. I know two thousand and six was kind of the last hurrah for some of these players, but this really was a team at, at the peak of its peak
1: of its powers yeah like. mm. and when you look at the you look at the team that went to the champions league final there were there were you know that that back four uh, abue senderos toure Flamini in left back for a, yeah. a great chunk of the knockout run you had alex kleb in the team yeah. as well so there was a bit of churn in that regard fabregas exactly I yeah mean,
2: we even changed the formation for that run didn't we we were mm. kind of yeah, more yeah four on five a,
1: one Henri on his own and Cabell yeah.
0: and Cole played the final but they hadn't really played no. Until in the build-up.
1: no no um, so that brought us to a game against Liverpool at Highbury and fair to say that it's probably the most memorable game of, of the season in terms of what had just happened Arsenal had been knocked out of the FA Cup yeah, knocked out of the Champions League feeling really broken that was a brutal week a brutal week in terms of what it meant uh, for for the team, despite how well things were going, and it looked like it wasn't going to go well in that game either. We we went behind uh, twice.
2: Yeah. Oh, Sammy Hoopier and um, Michael Owen. Yeah. It was um, a strange day.
1: It was Good Friday.
2: It was yeah, that's right. It was. Um traumatic i think and you know Henri's spoken in detail about the reaction in the second half and what was required and what happened and it does feel like it was you know absolutely key that they made that comeback because anything could have happened if we'd lost that day mm. um
1: thankfully that wasn't the case it wasn't thierry Henri was remarkable in in that second period james mm. um he looked like a man who was pushing himself to the absolute limit for his team. Well, we spoke about him not necessarily receiving the individual
0: accolades you might have expected. Mm. But what a travesty it would have been for him to go through this season without without winning the Premier League. And you almost sense that from him, that this was his time and his moment. Mm. And he, you know, he stepped up. It's, it's what you talk about with great players, you know, do they deliver in the big moments? And Arsenal desperately needed him then and he came through in such extraordinary fashion I mean it's not just the amount of the goals obviously the hat-trick on the day but the nature of that one particular goal that we all remember so fondly yeah
2: yeah. I mean 48 yards out picks yeah. the ball up just charges at the Liverpool defence
4: Better for Ulrich running at home
2: Great defending by the Liverpool players. It has to be said. In no. the end, when you look at it on replay, but he knows what he wants to do, and it just opens up for him. And it's uh, that trademark finish, never in doubt. And the celebration, yeah,
1: it was just manic. How he wasn't absolutely broken after the celebration because he he yeah. took off on a good run, didn't he? It wasn't yeah, yeah. just like <laughs> yes, straight in front of the nearest fans he could find. He had a good run around after that one. It was an amazing, an amazing goal, amazing game. You know when yeah. you can. I don't know how to describe it, but sometimes you can just, when you think about a game, it brings back a feeling or Mm. just an association. And, you know, that particular match, given what had happened that week, was...
2: Yeah, I mean, we'd gone from potential treble winners to being 2-1 down at half-time in the Premier League game and staring down the barrel of losing all momentum. And, yeah, I mean, I think uh, Henri says himself, I felt that the stadium had stopped breathing. And then you know, obviously the the goal went in. So, uh,
1: uh, and such was the the schedule at that time. Two days later, two days later. When you think about it, um, we had to go to Newcastle, and a nil nil draw. When you think back now, might have been might have been disappointing at the time, but. The physical exertion that that team had to, to, to make to play that game, Henri did 90 minutes yeah two days later.
2: I mean just I mean you, there, it was pretty much an unchanged side actually. Um, you know it's the classic layman Lauren Campbell toure Cole, and then Edu Viera, Gilberto. I think Perez had a bit of a break. that was about it yeah it? but wow, I mean yeah, tough tough gig that one.
1: Yeah. Um, then there was another Friday night game, a few yeah. of those that season. Uh, Thierry Henry, all he needed was four days rest.
0: (laughs) The shackles came off, didn't they, in that game? I mean, it was... Do you know, Henry obviously had some great moments and some brilliant goals, but I do remember this night as one of my real highlights of watching Thierry Henry because Mm. he was, you know, as Martin Tyler put it on on that occasion, electrifying.
4: Electrifying. Electrifying. It's four for the foremost striker, Arsenal's Thierry
0: Henry. And that one goal in particular, where he takes the ball off Gilberto, again in the centre circle and just tears
1: towards the opposition goal. I think he puts in the net, he's almost falling over, isn't he? Yeah, it? there's one where he's, he's, I think he's actually been fouled but stays on his feet and as he's falling, he clips the ball beyond the goalkeeper. Amazing.
2: It was one of the single... Greatest individual performances I'd seen, albeit against a, a pretty, you know, lacklustre Leeds team. But he was fantastic. He was just another level. Yeah, he really was. I remember
1: watching it in a bar here uh, in Dublin. Um, I don't know why I was home from Spain at that point, but it was Friday night in a bar in Dublin. The match was on, and even people who weren't Arsenal fans. Mm. we're just going holy shit this is amazing this guy is just incredible Mm. incredible four goals um, Perez scored the other goal 5-0 win against Leeds which means you can go to White Hart Lane and win the title (laughs) how how can you how can you script that yeah it's pretty poetic stuff
2: yeah I mean we we had to thank was it Newcastle beating Chelsea just before the game as well did that play into it or? Yeah, I think so.
1: I and think so. Yeah. I think maybe
2: that meant that we didn't need, we didn't to,
1: need win to win the game. We didn't need to win.
0: We
2: could draw. That's we right. Could draw so it took a little that was bit,
0: what of, pressure a bit of confusion in the crowd. Yeah. I think Spurs fans felt maybe we needed the win, but in reality yeah. a draw was going to be enough.
1: Some of the Spurs players thought that we just needed the uh, yeah. just the uh, that we needed to win as well. Um Patrick Vieira's goal after 3 minutes I mean, w- one of the great counter attacking goals that Arsenal have ever scored. Mm.
2: that first 20 minutes you couldn't have written a better 20 minutes for Arsenal going to Spurs playing beautiful football knowing they only needed to draw suddenly you're 2-0 up and you can start to chill out and relax and everybody can enjoy themselves and um, oh amazing goals
1: yeah Um, the Vieira one was just again it's like when we talk about the Perez one where it's just so simple and he curls it in he makes it look easy Arsenal made that they made that uh, that counter attack look easy as well. Henri picked it up. He played it through to, to Bergkamp yeah. Bird camp squares it for Vieira. Yeah. Telescopic Sli- leg comes yeah. out. And if Vieira hadn't been there, I think Perez was coming in yeah. behind him as yeah. well. So there was just no way that wasn't going to be a goal.
2: One of the one of the great kind of photos of that season was them celebrating. I think there's something like Henri Bergkamp Perez, uh, Ashley Cole. Vieira yeah, all arms around each other kind of jogging back to the halfway line and you're yeah. just like wow like that really that yeah. goal summed up that team really
1: yeah as ever though there's, yes. a, there's the Arsenal way of doing things <laughs> as good as we were we can't we can't escape who we are Jamie Redknapp scored for Tottenham uh, 2-1 then they got <laughs> a last minute penalty uh, I know this is something that exercises you Andrew
2: it did yeah It it never fails to annoy me And I think, I mean, obviously it it did annoy Jens as well. He was furious, not just with himself, but the whole circumstances of it all. It caused a massive argument in my family at the time because I I was really angry, but my dad and my brother were also spitting. And when we started bickering between ourselves while watching the TV, and you're kind of thinking, it doesn't really matter because... Even if they score, we're in injury time here. We're about to win the league at Tottenham. Yeah, but it was just that slight sourness at what should have been the end of a brilliant, brilliant day. Yeah, on the day it
0: really annoyed me as well. I know that we won the league, and but it just—I think because the Spurs fans celebrated, it gave them something that I didn't want to give them. But
1: but but does that not make it better? Because it, it gave them something that they didn't have. They thought it had stopped us winning the league. Yeah, when in reality. It had done no such thing. I think
0: with time, obviously, I I don't care at all, and I and I think it's fantastic we won at White Lane. But just on the day, I I remember feeling that we we were we were good enough to go there and win, and it irked mm. me the manner the manner. Of sure, which I mean, look, you there.
1: don't want to throw away a win against mm. Spurs, but perhaps there's something to be said. I mean, there was the Tariko
2: Yeah, I mean, Henri always brings it up, doesn't he? That yeah. you know. <laughs> that the Spurs players were jumping up and down and it was at that point, despite being told that they absolutely should not celebrate on the pitch and he just basically threw caution to the wind and was like, nah, we're, we're celebrating. Well, somebody, and after that, it did actually cheer everybody yeah. up, I think. Yeah. You know? some,
1: somebody got an inflatable Premier League trophy <laughs> that they just <laughs> paraded around with in front of the Arsenal fans.
2: Yeah, I mean, I wasn't at uh, White Hart Lane that day but to be an Arsenal fan in that Arsenal end watching the Arsenal players dancing on the pitch... That singing was, the songs. I remember
0: sing, them that was singing. Unbelievable. They were singing the Carlo Torre song. I remember them singing maybe one more year for Dennis Burkamp as well. Yeah,
1: it was all right. Yeah, he was having discussions with the club with yeah. his agent at that time. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, just an incredible way of winning the league. Mm. Uh, and a way of, I think, perhaps healing some of the wounds that had been inflicted by the two cup defeats, Champions League uh, and the uh, the FA Cup. You know, to to uh, to go out of those competitions as well, because people were they were talking treble yeah. they were talking they were treble talking about travel. almost probably
0: it, more than they were talking about the idea of being unbeaten. I should think.
1: Yeah, I think though I think that's true actually. Yeah. because we have to remember that previously, or it had been reported. I think that you know Arsene Wenger had said that his team was was going to go unbeaten. I don't think it was that strident. He said, I think they yeah, they could. It was the year before. Yeah, it was the year before. And, um,
2: but that it was even referenced is interesting, right? I mean, mm, I can't see yeah. Arsene Wenger of today ever kind of making those kind of comments because you could immediately get them.
1: Well, no manager says it now. Even when people talk to Pep Guardiola and at the time of recording Manchester City, I haven't lost a game yet in the Premier <laughs> League. Uh, you know, he doesn't, he, he won't, countenance it at all. you will just say, no, 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 Mm. no. Again, you can understand why, but to put that pressure on. But it it then demanded something of these Arsenal players, didn't it? You know, having won the league, having set out what you wanted to do that season, you've accomplished it, you've achieved it. Maintaining focus for three, four more games uh, is going to be difficult. Yeah, it's a huge task. I mean, when
0: players win things they talk about uh, you know I think about when for example Per Mertzak came back from the World Cup speaking about how hard it was just to refocus yourself and we've seen it so many times with title winning teams that their last few results can be a mess to be honest because they're phoning it in but uh, I think Arsene Wenger whenever you hear him talk about it now he knew and had a very clear sense that the team had the potential to do something very special and maybe collectively as you just alluded to there was an idea that this could be a bit of redemption for those cup defeats. Sure. Um, and put a positive spin on... Well, there was already a very positive spin on but a special spin on the season.
1: Yeah, I mean, nobody had ever done it. No. And, yeah, I mean, that's that's the carrot. You've got to have a carrot. You've got to have something to play for, don't you?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was interesting because, I mean, it obviously was on his mind. There was no suggestion he was going to rotate the team, mm. make changes, ease up or anything. Yeah. Um, it was the same lot thrown straight back into the fray again yeah and yeah i mean the birmingham game was turgid one of the worst <laughs> games i think you could ever ever watch as a football fan but yeah. you know as an arsenal fan at the time you were kind of still celebrating the fact that the team had won the league um and i you know to be fair the, the following game against portsmouth was I was a little bit hairy. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it wasn't a great game to watch, but yeah, it was a uh, Yakubu was the one who probably should have won it for Portsmouth. That's quite right. Lay-
1: Layman made an amazing yeah. save, I think, at at one uh, nil to Portsmouth. Yakubu had scored, and then we had uh, a goal from Jose Antonio Reyes. Yeah, yeah he kind
0: of a- came up trumps in this last period of the season, didn't he? I mean, he yeah. scored, I think. in... The two games, not not the last game, but the two prior to that. So, yeah. I think
2: this one marked his first Premier League goal, right? Maybe, yeah. And then and then he got the winner against Fulham just a few days later mm. when Van der Sar, who'd been excellent in the home game yeah. at Highbury, mm. made an absolute shocker of a mistake, and yeah, we scored quite early against them.
1: It sure did. Uh, the final game of the season then was against Leicester City. A former Arsenal player threatened to make a mess of it. Uh, Paul Dickov. Blast from the past. Another blast from the past, yeah. Paul Dickov scoring the uh, the opening goal for Leicester. Uh, but once again... Back we came. Back mean, it we was came. kind of
2: the story of the season. You know, mm. 1-0 down, 2-1 up. Um, took a lot of hard work though that day. And, yeah. um,
1: it was a penalty, wasn't there? Andre yeah. penalty and then that, I mean, a great goal by Patrick Vieira.
2: I mean, I do remember at half-time being in the stadium being like, not today lads don't, yeah, yeah, don't, yeah, yeah, don't yeah. screw it up because Leicester were down weren't they as well I think mm. at the time you don't, you're don't. you not going to throw this record away against a team yeah. that are relegated they really down.
0: threatened to spoil the party uh, but,
2: and it was tense it was tense until we
0: uh, just stole into the lead they, and what a way to finish it as well I mean that goal kind of summed up so much of what was great about the team the pass from Burkamp, the run from Vieira captain rounds the keeper rolls it in Yeah, it was a lovely way to do it. And of course, the, the subplot throughout this game, which was Will Martin Keown get off the
1: bench? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's true. Yeah, this was this when uh, Ray Parler, I think it's a, a story Ray Parler must dine out on at this point.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think the, well, the story basically goes that Keon had to come on to be eligible for a medal. Is that yeah, right?
1: because he had to have 10 appearances. And he
2: had to have 10 appearances at the time to be eligible. And he'd not really got back in the team since the. Uh, the United uh, game. I mean, the odd Yeah, there, he kept throwing him on like substitutes. Yeah, stuff. if he could. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, I think where well, the story basically goes, doesn't it, that Keown's waiting to come on, and Parla goes up to him and starts. Well, he he sets off on warming up, doesn't he? Yeah. And then sort of whispers in Keown's ear that the boss is going to bring him on. Keown's pulling his hair out. <laughs> yeah, 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 runs yeah. off to try and remind Wenger that he needs to go on. Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh but he did get on he got yeah. on in the 87th minute and arsenal uh, won the game 2-1 and well the unbeaten run didn't stop there of course um we were unbeaten that season the unbeaten run went on a little bit longer than that uh, that's maybe another podcast for another day but you know when you when you think back on it it really is a remarkable thing for any team to do to be able to show that measure of consistency and to 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 rescue themselves at times when you wouldn't have blamed not necessarily blamed but you could understand when or how they would not have been able to dig deep and and pull out you you think of uh, the Liverpool game and you Mm. think of the uh, the Portsmouth game just an incredible desire so I think we have an, an illustration of all the things the character the quality the bit of luck here and there but most of all the ability to stay focused at the top level 38 games when you go away, it's windy, rainy, bad pitch, and still you say we will not lose today, and uh, you manage that for 38 times. I must say it's
4: just a sign of a high level of quality and a big sign of attitude.
0: Yeah, that's very true. And they were such rounded characters, rounded football players. Really, they were. You know, it's very difficult to think of any player who was lacking. They were. They all were all seemingly big, powerful guys. They were all seemingly competitive. They were winners and they were all very, very gifted. I mean, I remember at the time thinking, I need to try and remember watching this team because it isn't always going to be like this. And unfortunately, yeah. I was right.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I... I don't know if I did think that. I wish I had thought that. I think with hindsight, I've been able to, to say, you know what? It's yeah. It's understandable why... Things now become a bit more frustrating because this. I don't want to go into the old Arsene Wenger quote about once you've had, had caviar, it's hard to go back to sausage. But we've had some, yeah, we've had some pretty fucking sausagey sausage in in recent years. But this was this was caviar.
2: I mean, it was the, it was actually the start of the the following season when it felt like we were just turning up and rolling teams over. Th- oh. You know, three, four, five. We yeah. were much more free scoring at the second half. Yeah. Sorry, the first half of that following season. And it was at that point when I thought, fuck, it might never get better than this. Yeah, Like, this is probably the best football I'm ever going to see. And you're saying it to yourself, thinking, please don't be the case, please don't be the case, please don't be the case. And it kind of, I mean, it has been. I mean, like we're never going to, you know, that was Thierry Henry in his pomp. The guys were just playing with such freedom and they look powerful. I mean, they, they talk about, didn't Parley used to say that, you know, they used to know they'd beaten teams when they were in the tunnel. Mm. And we haven't seen anything like that since.
0: No, and I think as well, I think Highbury felt like a factor in it. You know, the atmosphere at Highbury was was different to what we've grown accustomed to at the Emirates Stadium and just such a beautiful setting as well for some of the beautiful football they played. It was was an extraordinary time and uh, I, I do wonder as well how much of our kind of contemporary discontent Is a consequence of having experienced this, you know, and having had those highs. Everything feels relative
1: as a consequence. Yeah, on the one hand, you can appreciate it for the brilliant thing that it is, but when you get something that good, you want more of it. Yeah. And you don't quite understand why the man who gave you that is unable to replicate it. And I think when we look back, just very finally and very briefly, at the way football is these days and the way that players are at the various clubs around Europe, Arsenal had four genuinely world-class players Mm. in their team. They had Thierry Henry, Patrick Vieira, Dennis Bergkamp, and Robert Perez. Even if Bergkamp was a little bit uh, in the September of his career, he still had the class. And I don't know what the equivalent of that is these days, but the idea that we had four of those players at Arsenal at any one time with a supporting cast that was both good enough and intelligent enough to work with them and get the best out of them it was like a magical cocktail. All the ingredients came came through. Like, it could have even been better that season. We know, we understand the, the disappointment, but it was an amazing time.
0: They were special players. They were once-in-a-generation players, and we kind of had four yeah. <laughs> in, the, yeah. in the same team.
1: I mean,
2: I, I, as you were saying about the supporting cast, I mean, let's say Sol Campbell.
0: Sol Campbell, Cole, actually Cole, I actually mean, I mean, I think there's a case for them to be very near that top bracket as well yeah, in, I mean, in their positions you know,
2: is Gilberto a World Cup winner sure Lehman who went on to be uh, well, he, he got Germany to the semi-finals of the, mm. the World Cup a couple of years later um, Ashley Cole who was I mean, whether Ashley we Cole, like him or
1: not the best left back, best back, getting, back the
2: world. Yeah, Argu- no. arguably England's best performer over the course of a decade You know, yeah. during that period um, no fantastic players a real privilege to watch them achieve that and you know, let's hope it doesn't get done again, at least by another team that isn't Arsenal
1: anyway. Yeah, I wouldn't mind if we did it again. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. I could that. live with that. All right, listen, guys, thanks very much. Uh, been a pleasure reliving that with you, James. Thank you. Pleasure. Andrew, cheers.
2: Yeah, pleasure. Thank you.
1: That was our look back at the 2003-2004 season. At the time of recording, Manchester City still hadn't lost a game during this current season, so we were a little bit worried about that, but thankfully the natural order of things has been restored and Arsenal's record remains intact. If you'd like to read up a bit more about that season, there is an Arsblog book called Together The Story of Arsenal's Unbeaten Season It is only available in digital format at this point. Our hardback copies have sold out, but you can get it from Amazon, you can get it from iTunes you can get it from Google Play Just look up Together The Story of Arsenal's Unbeaten Season. It's only $1.99 or $2.50, something like that so it's not going to hit you in the pocket too hard thank you for listening to this thank you for becoming an Arsblog blog member on patreon and thank you for helping us create more arsenal content there's plenty more to come and your support is really very much appreciated you can find all that exclusive stuff at patreon.com forward slash arsblog blog and everything else on Arsblog.com and Arsblog news until next time cheers bye bye
4: The